All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell and Eddie Ortiz. Episode 124 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here on this hot-ass day here in Kansas City. We hope wherever you're at, you're sweating as little as possible. You're surviving this bad boy. If you're like me, you're just trying to survive this summer as a whole because I swear to God, I'm like a stick of butter with a beard in this weather, man. It's horrible out here, but... We survived. We got a lot to get to, man. We have our guy, Blake Sneeders, from B-Cut B Podcast. I cannot wait to get him on the show. Uh, it's going to be an absolute blast to get his thoughts on UFC 264 with McGregor and Poirier for the match number three, which I am so excited about. We got a lot of UFC to get to. We got the Eddie Hour. We got the Monday Mailbag. We got to hand out some L's like we always do. But first, we got to get to some things out here in the, in the world of sports in Kansas City when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, I don't like being the guy that... Has a, has a show on a day that big news drops sometimes. Most of the time, man, it's great. Whenever there's breaking news of a player getting traded or a released or a signing or you know somebody wins the title, things like that, it's always such a layup for us here at The Spoken on, on Friday nights when we start recording these shows. And then obviously there's the bearer of bad news that inevitably falls down when things like this happen in the offseason of the football season because guys got times on their, guys got plenty of time on their hands and we don't know what they're doing before they report back to camp and get their heads straight and get their heads right and get their you know body and mind into football shape. And as we've talked a few weeks ago on this show, there's unfortunate events that take place. No matter what team you're on, you have guys that make some uh, unfortunate mistakes and an unfortunate, unfortunate series of events have befallen one important player here in Kansas City by the name of Frank Clark. Now, we can sit here and revisit all the, the, the notes of what we've had so far from the TMZ reports, but all we can really go off of today that some of you maybe have not heard to this point yet, and hopefully by the time you hear this recording and hear this, this episode, you've been filled in, but it, it, the, the only news that we've gotten today is that, according to TMZ, that Frank Clark is officially going to be charged by the FBI uh, in this in this investigation when it comes to his uh, his uh, semi-automatic weapon being in his car in the LA district. And this is why this this is what I feared was going to happen. Now we can break down what exactly is to be feared. But this is why I said in the last episode that we talked about this, I believe this was episode 121, if I'm not mistaken, that I am fully preparing myself for whatever decision the Chiefs are going to make when it comes to Frank Clark. Now, I'm not of the belief, even now that we know he's going to be charged, I'm not of the belief, ultimately, the Chiefs are going to part ways with Frank Clark this season because it's going to be very tough for them to get out of that contract in itself. But I also believe that the Chiefs are going to give him every opportunity in the world, if they can, to play this season for the Chiefs. Well, for one, obviously, Frank Clark is an extremely important player for this team. We know that Brett Veach gave up so much to get him here, so we knew he was going to be a cornerstone uh, piece to this team trying to become a dynasty and ultimately become a dynasty. But also for the fact that 
It's it, unless there's a, a technicality, a contract de- detrimental situation, the Chiefs can get out of it. That's really the only way they're going to do it. They owe him over twenty million dollars this year. It would be absolute cap suicide in order to get him out, get him out of Kansas City, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so after the news broke today, I, I started trying to scour some information here, and I went to my guy Real Bird Lawyer on Twitter. And if you guys aren't following me, you're, you're doing yourself a real injustice here. And he is an actual lawyer out in uh, Colorado, and I reached out to him, and he said he was going to bring out a string of tweets in regards to this. And he's been in um, he's been in, in court all day, so it was really tough for him to get to the information. But this is basically what he put out today, and I'm going to get to it in just a second. I'm trying to find his tweets because he's he's actually been going ham on it ever since. But essentially what what, uh, what Bird Lawyer has been saying today is that this isn't going to be something that is going to result in long in a long-term uh, uh, jail sentence. He's not going to be going to jail for three to five, year, five years like they're saying he could potentially go according to the charges. That's not going to happen because Frank Clark's got money. He's going to find a way out. He's going to pay for the best lawyers and the best opportunities to get out of this. So what we have to focus on now is the football side of this. We can sit here and break down the moral side of this. We can do all those things. I'm going to leave that for another show to do, and we've already done that in previous episodes. Now we have to sit here and speculate on how is this going to affect the Chiefs now? Because, I, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I would not be surprised at all if Frank Clark misses the first half of the season. Because now we're talking about multiple gun charges. He is now officially getting charged for at least one of them. We don't know all of the intricacies and the full information as to what makes this into what it is as far as why he's being charged. We've only been getting little portions here and there. And honestly, before today, it went radio silent for over a week. We heard nothing. And now this drops on us on a Friday afternoon. And now we have to react to what we know and what we do know. Yeah, go ahead, Just just to add to to that, this is only for the March incident. This is not for the June incident. So, right. I don't even know if they're going to take that one to consider as far as they're going to. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, could, I just feel like there's so much left out that that obviously we don't find out until things are already. I yeah. I I personally don't think this is going to be as big of a deal like you said because he is wealthy. He's a wealthy individual. So as far as the the penalty, I, it's not going to be. As I harsh think what's as, what's hurting him is that this is a second time offense for sure. Uh, so in I a think, short and, period of time, yeah, and this is. This is like I said. This is only the March incident that he's being charged of. The other one is still being investigated. The uh, second incident. So if he gets a second charge of the yeah. second incident, it's going to be a lot harder, and he he's going to get going to have to get even better lawyers to kind of like yeah. prevent. All I was saying is I don't know if that's really going to make the the penalty worse. I think the the charge is going to be this. I mean, being a repeat offender obviously doesn't I, help. I, I would I would say it would increase his chances of going to jail. Yeah. I don't yeah. know about the the length of it, but mm-hmm. it increases his chances. According to Real Bird Lawyer, or Real Bird Lawyer, since the charge is based on possession of a legal weapon, and the weapon was in a vehicle which, if memory serves, had multiple people inside. I believe he's talking about the second instance yeah. in this one. Uh, the DA must not have been convinced by his attorney's argument that it was someone else's, so they they charged Frank, but. Just because they felt they could charge him doesn't mean they can necessarily prove that he was in possession. So let's take a deep breath and see what happens. Uh, according to him, he says, I think based on it being a low-level felony and him not having priors, it gets pled down. Now, again, to Eddie's point, though, that first charge could be continue, uh, technically a prior because of the fact that it was 90 days before the second investigated uh, situation that he has with a gun. In L.A. illegally. Now, again, on the football side of this, guys, because the, the season's going to be here before we know it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking – we're in the month of training camp. Yes. Training camp's going to be here in a few in a couple of weeks. Frank Clark, to me, guys, doesn't seem like a guy that's going to get a lot of favors from the NFL side of things. He might get out of this legally. 
He might get a slap on the wrist. He might get probation. He might get something to that degree where he's not seeing any jail time. But I think the NFL is going to come down pretty swiftly on this because we know in the past that the, the NFL has been has not been too friendly on guys that have gun charges. And if we know anything about Kansas City, and I, and I continue to hit this point home, the Chiefs hate negative optics. They do not like negative feedback. They do not like negative negative viewpoints on anything in regards to them. So we've seen them cut players for less. And that's something I have to be vehemently clear on. And so I have a hard time. One thing I do know, and I'm going to get your thoughts right now, Trev. The one thing I do know that's going to happen out of all of this when it comes to the Chiefs is that this will be Frank Clark's last season with this team. Now that there is multiple instances, he's now been officially charged for at least one of them, and more likely both of them. I don't see any scenario, unless he goes out there and sets a single-season sack record, I don't see how he will be a chief in 2022 and beyond. So one thing is clear. We have to now figure out what is Frank Clark going to bring to the table on this team, and I want to get your thoughts on that, Trevor. What do you what do you foresee Frank Clark being to this team in 2021? Yeah, it's, it's evident that this is going to be his final season. It's just for him, unfortunately, <laughs> he's not going to be going out on top and entering free agency again. You know, on top of his game, I'm not saying performance-wise, but him just being a knucklehead in general. That's a you know, once you once you're not necessarily blackballed from the league, but when you have that red flag up attached to your back as as an athlete in the NFL specifically, it makes it, it makes it tough, man. It makes you know you got to walk through a few a, a landmine field to you know reach another contract, and, and him getting what he wants is just kind of going to be far fetched at that point of his career. But as far as football goes, man, the Chiefs' best position. Regardless of what we do, uh, when the, when that time comes, what the Chiefs decide to do with him as a person, as a player, as far as football goes, our best position to be in is to have Frank Clark on this team, regardless of what the NFL punishment is. You know, if he does end up missing half this season, great. We'll have a fresh middle of the season Frank Clark to throw out there and, you know, be aggressive. Because obviously, as a fan, I know he's a knucklehead. I know he's made his – his mistakes and he's more than likely gone after the season. But I still, if Frank Clark's going to be floating out there, I'd rather have him on my team just have than, than have him not doing anything at all. I still would rather have him as a football player on this team. So as far as performance goes, I still love Frank Clark. I've always loved his game. Last year was a downer for sure, performance wise. And, and, you know, but I mean, I'm not going to be the guy that forgets what he, what he did on that, that first initial Super Bowl run. How, how long do you think though, that he's going to be suspended? That's the thing. Like if we're going to speculate that, it could be four to eight games. That's that's the that's the range I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, and probably more towards eight than four. Uh, towards the higher range, I would I would suspect, especially you know, especially with the. I mean, I think I think the the NFL is going to use Goodell's probably going to use as a gauge what the law enforcement is going to do, and how hard they come down on him. I think they'll kind of base that off of that. I'm not look, man. This is the the the, the NFL spe- specifically in this past few years has been evolving. And they've been trying to make examples out of guys to really set a new standard. Um, and a lot of that started with with them actually punishing Tom Brady. That was a pretty su- surprising incident when that finally, you know, with the phone destroying and all that stuff and them actually suspending him. Uh, I think they really kind of made a turn at that point. But I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I think it really depends on what the law actually does. And then the, the, the NFL will kind of follow suit and maybe mirror you know, kind of the impact of the punishment according to the NFL. So, I, like I said, I think four to eight games sounds really realistic. Um, but as far as football goes, I, I still fully believe in Frank Clark, his talent, uh, what he can bring to this team. Um, it's just how much does he actually love this team? How much does he actually respect us as fans to go out there and be that numbs, that much of a numbskull 
to really put yourself in that position when you know you're a part of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, especially in the NFL, to make a third straight trip to the Super Bowl, possibly win your second ring, and you're really going to go out there and risk that. That's the part that's just so frustrating to me, man. We, we could talk him on the field uh, and his ups and downs and his woes of last season because that is a real thing for sure. Um, but like I said, I still believe in the talent. I just I just don't understand the the illogical actions of Frank Clark. But I'm, I'm excited to see, you know – what he can do this year if he actually plays football. But, yeah, I mean, 48 games is probably most likely. Uh, I mean, his talent – I don't think nobody's questioning his talent. His uh, Oh, there was a lot last year that was being questioned. But yeah. Well, his performance. For uh, a good reason. Yeah. I, I would say his performance, but, but he's, he has talent. Like, yeah. we all know he has a talent that the Chiefs need, you know, in that in that position. And, obviously, not having him in the field, it, it's, you know, it, it's big for the Chiefs. Mm. He's a he's a key uh, key piece to the. I just question his loyalty, man. The loyalty yeah. is on and off the field. So it, it all comes down to like what the NFL is going to do. Like, uh, are they going to are they going to suspend him until his trial, like his uh, court date? Right. Like we don't know when, how when long is, that's going to be. Exactly. Out. We don't yeah. know if that court date is going to be this year. If it's yeah. going to be drag out until next year. If right. that's the case, well, the NFL suspend him, suspend him until they know for sure what like the outcome of that uh, verdict is. So. It's, it's still up in the air as to what the NFL is going to do. I, I, that's why I don't think the NFL has come, come out and said anything about the, the matter since it was first reported, was it, in, in March and then June. I don't think the NFL has come out and like, issued like, statements and regarding Frank Clark. So I think they're waiting on to see what's going to happen like uh, with this whole court. Eddie, you, you went to school for something very similar to this. And just just from your viewpoint on it, I mean, how do you see this playing out? Because like you said earlier – uh, this is we're only talking about a singular instance now we're there's two to, to consider consider here i mean how do you see this playing out man it, it, it's definitely a, a a bigger hole to come out of uh because obviously you have two char- uh, not two charges yet but obviously you have that one then you potentially could have two uh so now you're going to be facing two charges uh two felony charges uh, it's it's going to be tougher for him but but like uh Trevor was saying uh, what we were talking about this is that the fame, the money, the, the lawyers and all that stuff, yeah. that could potentially get him out of that trouble and get him into like, you know, like uh, probation or, you know, like a slap in the wrist or some shit like that. You know, I can see that happening. But at the same time, it, it is California and California. Yeah. <laughs> when you break the laws in California, they don't take shit lightly. So, yeah. Uh, the, it, the first time around, so the second time around, his his bodyguard was with him, right? No, he was alone in the car. So the first time his bodyguard back. was with him, he was uh, following him. Oh, so, so there was no one else in the car. Not right that now. I know. I was gonna say I could see a scenario where if his bodyguard was because they were trying to make I a claim reading, that, I believe that it was the bodyguard's gun. Was, yeah, that he was following him in the car behind his security. But he team. had his bodyguard, his bodyguard's gun in his car. In his car, and that, his yeah, that bag. doesn't make and a lot of his sense. His duffel bag. Yeah, that doesn't see. That's what I'm saying. They could have. I think what they could have done that they, they, if he was going to try to claim that it was his bodyguard's gun and not his, they could have tried to maybe, maybe go that route. Because there's some great lawyers out there, man, that we you know can oh, twist yeah. it and find a loophole to make it sound like or figure it to where there was just the bodyguard's gun and not his. And they could, this could be you know done real yeah. quick. But the fact that he was in his car with the gun and as an individual, separate to the vehicle that his bodyguard was in, and you're going to try to claim that that was your bodyguard's gun that's in your bag in your car. 
you're riding solo. That's just, I mean, there's not much you can really do at that point. Man. Yeah, and with California, the way the right. run laws are, it's yeah. going to be super hard for Uzi, him to get really? yeah. uh, Uzi. Out of anything just, else, it's like, a fucking Uzi. Like, like bro, it, it could have been like a, a handgun or shit. Something. You know, yeah. something simple. No, he yeah. had a fucking Uzi, which makes this whole thing even worse. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because you're not carrying that type of weapon around just for you know, hunting. You're yeah. not going to go hunting with the Uzi. Yeah. Even your bodyguard. Why the who, I mean, Why the Well, you might be going hunting, just not for animals. That's yeah, what I'm saying. He had to be, like I said, he's either up to no good or he's dumb, yeah. or both. Well, and, and and the reason I'm asking this this question about why you like how long do you guys think that the duration of his suspension is because of the fact that whether we want to acknowledge it or not, guys, the Chiefs are gonna have to figure out something yeah, in I the meantime. And this is where I really and I and I know there's gonna be people that are that are either not thinking about it or not taking it very seriously. I really think the Chiefs need to swallow their pride and go and sign Justin Houston. And the biggest reason why that sounds like a no-shit thing is because of how effective he still is as a player. And we all know why guys like him and Melvin Ingram are still sitting out as veterans because of the fact that they know that they are worth money. And as as training camp commences, you're going to see injuries to players. That's always bound to happen. And they know their value is going to be right around where they're asking their asking price is right now. So now that the Chiefs are in a position where they – before, a couple of months ago when they were interviewing uh, Melvin Ingram, it was a luxury. Well, the inevitable suspension is going to be coming for Frank Clark. This is now a priority. And so whether it's going to be Melvin Ingram, whether it's going to be uh, Justin Houston or another pass rusher out there that we're not aware of right now that may get cut during training camp, the Chiefs are going to have to answer this because Frank Clark is going to get suspended. Again, it's only going to be a matter of how many games. No matter how it is, because of the upfront pressure of this schedule the Chiefs have, right. I think it's, what, four of their first six games are against former playoff teams from just a year ago, and some of those teams got much better in this offseason. They need as many front seven workers as possible, and if, if Frank Clark's not there, like we all just agreed, is a, a key cog to this entire component, yeah. then they need to go and get a guy that can fill that role and be that guy for a month, a month, two months. You know, somebody like that, because Justin Houston, although is older, he has proven over the last two years with the Indianapolis Colts, he can stay healthy and he can be effective. He had 16 and a half sacks in 32 games. That's an effective player. Maybe not as good as Frank Clark is right now, and he definitely isn't younger, but there's a familiarity factor. And again, I've talked about the story side of this. It makes a ton of sense. But also the fact that he's good still, and Jaron Reed coming here and being a key a key part up the middle, and a great player next to Frank Clark up in Seattle. You pair him up with Chris Jones on the edge, and then another guy on that edge that has been a veteran player and presence in this league for over ten years. You're automatically that much better, and you don't miss Frank Clark as much because you're going to miss Frank Clark no matter what. And this team's resilient; they're going to find a way to win without him. But you've got to give yourself a contingency plan. And to me, the only contingency plan in this place is not throwing Joshua Kando out there, the rookie, or trying to you know put your faith in one of these younger guys like a Mike Danner or somebody like that. No, you have to give yourself the best opportunity. There are two guys out there right now that help significantly help this team. My vote would be Justin Houston to be a different type of defense that he'd be embarking on than he would be back in Indianapolis from the former regime with the, with the Chiefs. But he's still, I think, a kind of guy that can be good enough to fill that role while while uh, Frank Clark is working through his legalities. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I've you know I'm on the Justin Houston train. That's definitely something that I think a, re, a reuniting, a reunion would be nice. Plus, like you said, he performed well. He was actually better than Frank Clark was last year statistically. So, I mean, granted, he was part of a really really good bunch over there in, in Indianapolis as a good defense, but. He'd be yeah. walking in one hell of a bunch yeah. here. I mean, there's, there's really – at this point, but it's, like you said, there are, there's always guys that get cut, you know, prior to the season. I mean, we could sign some guys, but 
I think top of the list would be Justin Houston, just with the familiarity, the system. He's still got a motor, you know, he's, and he's got that, oh, that old man muscle memory at this point. Where he's got the swim moves down. He, just, he knows what he's doing out there. He's a robot at this point. So that's that's ideal for me. I want a guy, a veteran, to come in and fill that spot rather than a guy that's kind of coming in and trying to prove himself, doesn't really know himself yet. I'd much rather have the, the aged veteran that knows the system. Is, is still a fan favorite here. The fans never wanted to depart from him. He would be welcomed back with open arms. Now, I, I want to jump to another uh, topic when it comes to the Chiefs. It's 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 much less important, but it's something that I think that need, does need to be addressed. Uh, we heard this week that uh, wide receiver from the Patriots, Nikhil Harry, has requested a trade, formally requested a trade with the New England Patriots. Uh, he wants to get his targets up. He wants to produce better, and he's just not doing that up in New England, which I t- completely understand. Uh, former first-round pick, I believe it was a 2018 when they took him, or 2019, I believe. Um, very young player, six foot four, 230 pounds, an absolute massive beast. He's extremely slow, not a very good route runner, but has decent hands and is a really good, I would say, a, a, a legitimate target in red the red zone. zone. Yeah, so when I heard this news, obviously the automatic assumption was, oh, the Chiefs are going to be interested. At first, I was I was a little reluctant to it because I was like, well. I think the Patriots, knowing how that their, their skeevy asses up there are going to do, they're going to try to pull a fast one and try to get a mid-round pick out of them. So I was like, my my the ultimate amount that I would give up for an Akil Harry in the scenario that the Chiefs would trade for him would be a conditional fourth-round pick. That would be the ultimate amount. Now we came out and said the market for uh, the the market for uh, Nikhil Harry is actually a conditional sixth, which is essentially nothing. You're not really giving up anything for an Akil Harry if you were to give up a conditional six-round pick, and that gives you all the leverage in the trade ordeal. And so for me, if I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, I can get a 23-year-old receiver at that size with no – I mean, he's making, I think, $3.2 million in total for his cap hit. If I'm looking at this and looking at the Tyron Matthew extension that is inevitable that's going to open up about $20 million in cap for the Chiefs, that three point two becomes nothing at that point. Yeah. And Nikhil Harry would be a guy that I would – because to be honest with you guys, I think he's more talented than Demarcus Robinson. And Demarcus Robinson's getting first-team reps. If you're giving me a guy that can come in here and ease his way into an offense with little to no expectation, with that type of size and talent, for a conditional six-round pick, I don't know how that's a negative – acquisition in any way he has no injury no real injury history yeah. he, like i said he has nothing but to, to prove himself which is going to give him adequate amount of, of production and, uh, and, and motivation the only setback i could see in it is his own words because i don't know if you guys saw the quotes and what he's looking for he's saying that he doesn't want to really play for an offense that's fast tempo well that's what the chiefs are they're a very fast tempo home run style offense so maybe he's going to look more for like a carolina type of offense more of a slow methodical offense that likes to throw to the court to the the running backs in the backfield he's not trading himself so i get it i'm just saying like he's putting lo- preferences out there kind of- i'm just saying though that it, a lot of times though when players are looking for certain things a lot of times that yeah, does get the happening with clout i get it i get it i'm saying i'm saying maybe maybe, maybe the mentality doesn't line up as much though the talent i like i like the talent but if he's not wanting to play for an offense that that, that that would be you know suitable for the Chiefs, then I don't know if I like it. But if we're looking at just raw numbers or not raw numbers, raw talent, and the ability that he could bring to this offense, I would be all for it. I don't know what are your what are your thoughts? I on don't this think he's better than Demarcus Robinson. He I said more like, talented. I didn't say he's a better player. I don't even know how he's proven that. Look, look I'm a Nikhil fan. I, I liked him coming out of college. I thought it was a good pick for the Patriots with Tom Brady. But he he, he obviously doesn't fit with the, the offense with with Cam at, at the helm. Uh, the offense is actually pretty bad. Uh, outside of Cam's just absolute pure athletic abilities, uh, fun to watch. But that that, that offense was just 
not good last year at all. Um, I like the size of Nick Kilher. I think he is a good guy to come in, in you know, red zone packages. I get that, but I don't think that's worth trading for. I don't Even think for a conditional six-round pick? He's not. Dude, this, our, 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 for us personally, for the Chiefs, our offense is built on speed. That's not a guy that's going to be getting reps. DeMarcus Robinson, what you want about his talent, he's fast as shit. He's still very, very fast. He's a fast receiver, yeah. not the best route runner. I don't know. I don't. Nikhil hasn't proven anything in the league so far. I liked him coming into the league. I haven't seen much from him because, yeah, granted, he was, you know, in a in a in, the, in between spot there with the transition from Tom Brady to Cam Newton and that whole beef and that whole transition there. That was a strange spot to be in for him to develop and to and have some consistency offensively. And I think any 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 player that's going to come to the Chiefs offense is going to be is going to look better, and any player is going to really want to come play for Mahomes and Andy Reid. That's just a fun offense to be a part of. Period. But I just I think as far as trading for him, it doesn't really makes like there's no. We, I think we can go get some guys that get cut and off some practice squads yeah. after training camp and find guys that are that are more. We can go get Albert Albert Wilson. I would think I would welcome Albert Wilson back before I would want to kill Harry at least in a trade scenario. That's just me personally. But yeah, I mean he's got good size. He can maybe go out there and run some red zone packages, but for the Chiefs, to, in order to trade for him, I just don't – yeah, I just it doesn't make too much sense for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't – I can care less if they go trade for him or not. Like, I honestly don't think he's a better player than uh, DeMarcus Robinson yeah. either. I, I just don't see it. I just don't I – don't, I don't see the Chiefs really needing his talents here in Kansas City. Like, I, I think they're good enough uh, with, with what they have at the moment because uh, – you're adding uh, Nikhil Harry. He's not adding anything special to these to this offense. He's not bringing anything that we're like, oh shit, like his speed or like all right, his outside route of red running. zone. Red zone, he would be nice because he's a, he's a very tall bastard. You yeah. know, that's that would be nice. Uh, yeah, we don't but, have many of those in this offense. Yeah, that's, but I mean, like like I say, he won't bring anything that changes this offense. But like, I do think we're gonna see a lot of two tight end sets in the red zone this year. Okay, I so think that's gonna be successful. So I'm gonna give you my I'm gonna give you my thoughts on this and why I'm. On, on board with uh, Nikhil Harry, and then we're going to move on because we got to get our guy Blake. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing about it is, okay, it, it, to me it falls in the same line of, of thinking as what I was expressing about bringing in a Justin Houston yeah. because Justin Houston is not going to be brought in here with the expectation of being the, the, the top yeah. edge rush, yeah. but you're bringing him in here because of why? Because you know that there's solidification there if and when he brought – and I'm not saying that Kill Harry is going to be a solidifier. What I'm saying is, is that you have to always anticipate a couple things when it comes to football. You're going to have injuries. And I think that when you're looking at the depth of the Chiefs, what, we, what have we been griping about this whole offseason? The Chiefs aren't deep enough on wide receiver. And if you add a size and, 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 a, and a guy that with that type of – those measurables – I don't see the negatives that come with it. I understand that he may not produce to the level of expectation or may not produce at all. Yeah. But to have that type of person on the roster, to me, is is bettering the team in just that instance than not having it all. And then you lose a valuable piece. Let's say McCole Hardman goes down with an injury to Marcus Robinson. Then who are you looking to? A Byron Pringle? At this point, not we know he's a special teamer. My point, though, is that you have to be realistic with who is going to be there available. And if I have Nikhil Harry on my roster, to me, that helps the team more than not having him at all, especially when you're only giving up a conditional six-round pick, which always ends up equating to a seventh-round pick. Yeah, I'm just not willing to give up any assets for a guy that's proven shit in this league, to be honest with you. I'd rather, I'd rather take a chance. I'd rather take a chance on another guy that's for free off a practice squad or somebody that maybe of some you know, equity in his Another name. unproven talent? Exactly, for free instead of trading assets. And a conditional six-round pick is essentially for free, dude. Uh, no, it's not. That's still it really is. It really is. Those okay, usually never equate to anything. Okay, but I mean, I'm saying bringing in a different guy that's – he's already – this guy's already out here thinking he has some kind of clout to like 
pick and choose what kind of and him already coming out and saying he doesn't want to be a part of a fast paced offense is and then him bringing him over here a very fast paced offense I just don't that's him already making preferences that don't match up with our preferences is kind of a, a starting off the wrong foot in my mind I do I'm, I think we're wasting way too much time on Nikhil Harry as it is, but I I, I do like yeah, him. It was backlogged at the end of the segment. So I, I do like him. I will say I do like him, but I just he hasn't proven anything. We give we give the exact amount of a conditional six round pick worth of time on I our show. Go so. find where John Ross is and bring John Ross part of this. I mean, I'd rather try or take a risk on that. We might get more uh, more Chiefs talk in the in, in the show. I, I'm not sure. Uh, we like to fit in as much as we can, but in the meantime, guys, we got to take a break because when we resume this action. We got to get to our octagon man of the hour, Mr. Blake Sneeders. He is a podcaster himself. He's been on the show before. He's a friend. He's a friend of the show for sure. Family of the show, if you really want to consider and break it all friend. down. Show he also he also does a lot of things uh, for eight ten sports radio WHB. So he's a Renaissance man, and he's going to join us in this next segment to break down UFC two sixty four. We're excited, motherfuckers! I hope you guys are ready. We'll get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge. it again on the spoken podcast for segment number two i am your host lance twidwell here inside the spoken studios with my guys trevor twidwell and eddie ortiz yo, yo, yo. oh we are so damn excited <laughs> eddie had to kind of improvise on that one because we have a guest in the house we are so very excited so very pleased and honored and privileged most of all to have our guy from the B-Cut podcast on YouTube, which I highly recommend you guys to subscribe to because they got the motherfucking knowledge when it comes to the UFC and all MMA and the world of MMA, if you will. Let's give it up for Mr. Wake and Blake himself. What up, Mr. What up, Blake Streeters. How we doing? How we doing? On the Spoken, everybody on the Spoken, everybody I'm speaking to, what's poppin'? Speaking to the Spoken? Speaking to those of the Spoken. <laughs> so you know why, obviously, we have you here, man, because we loved it when you dropped that, that last that last show we did with you, man, was great. We had an absolute blast and talked about it. I, I think awesome time. I, I, ironically, as it sounds, I think the last time you were on the show was the first time the Frank Clark News broke. So now... We have the Frank Clark news breaking today. You're back on the show. Yeah. I feel that it's Weird only, it's only, yeah, no, I, we need to stay away from you for a little bit. So maybe some good news can drop, you know, on a Friday every once in a while. But no, I, I, before we get to the UFC stuff, and I cannot wait to unpack what you got, man, for us. And when it comes to the predictions for UFC 264, which has been maybe the most anticipated card, this card of the seat, the year uh, with McGregor and Poirier number three. But I, I want to do, I do want to get your thoughts because you've heard our thoughts uh, in the first segment in regards to Frank Clark. And even with the Nikhil Harry situation, Give us just some of your brief thoughts on on this thing with Frank Clark, man, because I know we've talked off air, but I'd like for you to put some down Yeah, so, I mean, I'm pretty much on the same wavelength as you guys. I mean, sitting here, you know, for those who don't know, I was actually waiting in the wings over here as they're having their their Chiefs conversation. As much as I wanted to answer right there, I was off – I was off microphone, so I couldn't just like start making a bunch of commotion in the background, even though I might have spilled a beer. So, <laughs> which but, which we will get Venmo for. Yeah, <laughs> I will Venmo you. Damages two dollars and seventy six cents for that Modelo. So, 
But uh, but no, man, I, I think it's just kind of crazy because the Chiefs, like you said, they're notorious for being an organization that does not like controversy like this. They squash almost anything that comes out, and not in a bad way, kind of like the Patriots do or other organizations do. Just like, hey, we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to put up with it. It's going to be dealt with right then and there. Um, to me, the biggest problem I see with this situation is that it was a repeat, offended, a repeat offender in Frank Clark in the same state for the exact same thing that you got caught up for in the first time. It's not like, hey, you had one trouble in this area, and then, oh, maybe you smoked a little weed and got pulled over. For the weed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a repeat felony in – or it's a, it's a repeat crime. It's now being charged as a felony in the state of California because if you know – my biggest problem is I'm also a, a gun, you know, advocate, you know, for for responsible gun ownership. And um, the biggest thing that I will always preach is know your laws in what state you're going to and what you can and cannot have as a gun owner. Use Simple your as brain. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Weirdly, weirdly enough, you'd think it'd be that easy, but it is a clearly, it is a clearly, it's not. Like I don't understand that anybody who knows anything about guns or anybody who owns a weapon and is smart about it, they know the laws of the state in which they're in which they're carrying that gun You'd into. like to think they'd be more aware when they're that much, they're more wealthy than the common person. You would think so, right? <laughs> yeah. You would think so, but things come easier to people that That's have true. a lot of money. That just is the way it is, and you forget that there are rules that apply to you, and that you will get caught with those things if you don't abide by those rules. Yeah. And that was a, a prime example of what happened to Frank Clark, and I think if I'm the Chiefs one, listen, I, 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 there was a great story years ago by Brandon Albert in ESPN Magazine where he talked about why players feel the need to carry firearms. I totally understand it. And his point was basically, hey, yeah, you know, we, we do live in nice communities, this and this and that, but there are people out there that do particularly seek out individuals of higher status, of, of well-to-do yeah, money. Cop chasers. Yeah. Cop yeah. chasers. Yeah. Yeah. Cop chasers. Wearing 50 Gs around your neck. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, hell, look at what happened to Takashi 69. Sure. Like they, he got he got kidnapped by. That's his Eddie's own guy. Friends. Hey, tread lightly. That's Eddie's guy. You know. Oh uh, yeah. We gotta you, talk you about you know Takashi six nine over here. Six nine guy. <laughs> <laughs> are you dumb, 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 dumb? Are you stupid? Please move the fuck on. Anyway, move anyway. the fuck on. My hair is turning yeah, different sorry. colors. <laughs> Anyway, but so you have people that will go after people that have money. So I understand wanting to feel protected. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. And as to kind of your point, you said, you know, what the hell are you guys using the Uzi for? Again, that it kind of got me thinking, is that something that you really needed as, as proper protection? Or was that almost more like hip hop culture playing into, oh, hey, sure, I man. got money. I got cool guns. I can do what I want. I got the cars. Nah, bro. You know what? Because that Uzi, I promise you, is if we're really talking off the self-defense aspect, it's going to be less effective than the nine and then a nine millimeter or a Glockwood. Right. It's going to be way, it's going to be way less reliable. It just looks less really accurate. fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It looks cool. So like, it was really dumb for him to even be toting this, especially in a state that's one of the most locked down states and like high high uh, end laws that just basically nullify any type of gun ownership. Like California is not a state you want to go if you want to play around with guns. Do you want to? Do you want the Chiefs to sign to kill Harry? So I, Nikhil Harry actually kind of fits the prototype that I've been talking about, the, the strong-handed, big-bodied, tall receiver who can get up for red zone passes. Now, 
that's great and all. And I think it'd be cool, but it was a little weird uh, into Trevor's point earlier that he came out and kind of announced what he wanted to do, which was the exact opposite of really what the Chiefs do. I don't think that matters as much just because you're wherever you go, you're going to play the system. You can't just make your own system. You're not Randy Moss. There's no, like, I'm going to throw my hand up. You just throw it to me. Like, you're not that good, bud. You ain't that right, guy, right, pal. Right, you're right. not that guy. Right. So um, it's just one of those things where I was like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool, I guess, just to add some depth to the position. He doesn't wow me by any means. Um, I actually specifically went back and watched his um, ASU tape as well as – or his Arizona tape as well as – no, Arizona State. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. As well as his um, highlights from the last two years with the Patriots. It was fun to watch in college. And they were nice. There wasn't anything that really stood off the board other than just being very strong and being able to go get the, the high ball. So other than that, like that is something that I preached a lot of, but I don't know if he's the, necessarily the guy that, that I would say go get it. Another yeah, guy that – got put, Noah Gray, man. Noah Gray. Hey, watch <laughs> out. Noah Gray, from what I've heard, has been putting, on, you. putting on quite a clinic in, in camp right now as well as, as Nick Bolton has on the defensive side. But um, one guy that you guys didn't mention that I actually have kind of kept my eye on ever since hard knocks two years ago with the Browns is Antonio Callaway. Oh, yeah. Um, Chiefs actually got him right now on the practice squad. Now he's he actually is one of the only people right now that has true in-game in-season experience. I mean, he had 46 catches, I believe, yeah. two years ago for like 590 yards and a couple touchdowns. I didn't even know we had him on the run. Yeah, see, yeah. I just learned about this not too long ago. So I was like, okay, so and he's just a guy that's had a lot of off-field issues. Yeah, yeah. But what he did well was he's not very tall. He's about 5'11", 200 pounds. But what he does really well is he catches really strong over the middle, and he's very physical, and he's fast. Mm-hmm. And he can jump. So he's like, he's not a 6'4", 230 kind of guy, but he's a 200-pound, you know, stout receiver, almost like a um, a, a pal, if you will, yeah. in the sense that they, they're both kind of big-bodied guys who maybe not – Strong big, hands. They're, they're strong body, strong hands, exactly. So um, I'm a little interested to see what he brings to the table because I think he's going to challenge a lot more people um, on this roster, the Demarcus Robinsons, the Miko Hardmans, than people think because – He's got proven in-game talent, and he's just – the only reason he didn't get to translate is because he's had, he's had multiple off-field things, which is the topic of the conversation is off-field issues and how they play out, how the Chiefs handle him. As long as he can stay – keep his nose clean, I think he's going to be in the mix a lot more than people think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like those thoughts, man. Some, we, could, we could have a whole other yeah, Chiefs you know, segment we, we if we wanted to, and I'm sure we're going to do that on Sunday with Darren on the ship. But uh, Yeah. In the meantime, we got to get some business here, man. We got Hell we got yeah. UFC 264 coming around in about 24 hours or so. Trilogy. I'm, I'm absolutely excited about this one. But see, the great thing about this card is it's not just top heavy, man. With the with the big billing of McGregor Poirier number three, we got some damn good fights on this main event card. But before we get to the main event card, because of the fact that I know that a lot of people love to eat up the prelims, and we see a lot of these fights and there are a lot of a lot of guys and women in there that are trying to prove themselves and prove the worth to get on those main cards. What fight of the of the prelims are you looking forward to the most, and who do you think wins it? So there's two fights that stick out to me that just have good, just have well-to-do names or a lot of talent on them. So the first one to me is the third fight of the night. It's Brad Tavares versus Omar Akhmedov. Not, nothing crazy. Neither of these guys are going to go out there and just absolutely like blow you out of the water. Yeah. But these are two veterans in the league that are getting kind of a. Uh, I would say they're not getting slighted, but they really should be higher up on the card. They're just a loaded card this time. So I think they're going to try to put a show on, set the tone early in UFC 264. So I think those two are going to come out and have a very good fight. It's the third fight of the night. The next fight that I think is going to be the best fight of those prelims is uh, uh, Michael Perea and Nico Price. Both of these guys fight very 
very out of the ordinary. Michael Perea is all over the place when he's flying knees, doing capoeira and out yeah. there. Like he's doing a whole lot of things. It just makes for a spectacular um just makes for a spectacular viewing pleasure of a fight. Yeah. Like, things you'd want to see, like spinning back kicks, Bruce Lee type shit out there. So the, that fight I think is gonna be very good. Now they've got um Perea as the favorite. Uh, but it's very close. It's 141 uh, for Nico Price plus, and then one, uh, minus 177 over there on DraftKings for Perea. I think that's probably correct. I think Perea is probably the more dangerous one, but I would say Nico Price is probably the more composed one. Um, so, like, Perea can kind of just, like, knock you out at any time because he does so many different crazy things. I think Nico Price is probably the more composed fighter. So I actually think that Nico might come in there and, and, and cause the upset. I'm nice. sorry, he's... Um, yeah, cause the upset because he's not the favorite, but it, it's a close match. So either way, that one's going to be a stylistic matchup to definitely watch for the prelim. So those are the two um, prelim ones that I – well, hell, and really you can't even forget about it other than the fact that I'm not huge on his opponent, but Carlos Condit yeah. rounds out the top of the, Big top of the prelim fight. Big man guy, still, still, you know, can fight in the league. He's and, got thirty-two wins, man. Yeah, it's I mean, the guy, OG. the guy's a legend in the yeah. game. So, like, never count out any of these legends. So, guys like that, those two, those three fights: the Carlos Condit, Michael Perea, Nico Price, and then the Brad Tavares and Amari Akhmedov. What are your thoughts on the Nevada State Commission Athletic Commission coming out and saying that it's official that they're no longer suspending or banning uh, player or athletes, rather combat uh, athletes for uh, cannabis use because marijuana has been confirmed according to their research that it is not a performance enhancing drug given the, oh, the, the the climate in our in our olympic world uh what are your thoughts and takeaways from that being a person that follows so vehemently on the the combat sports side of things uh i'd say it's about fucking time nevada <laughs> heroin, Jesus. heroin's next i'm gonna i'm gonna take i'm gonna take a quote from our guy kevin croom here in kansas city who trains over there at glory mma how can i go how can i go fuck a stripper or pay for a stripper, but it's illegal <laughs> to fight on weed. I'm sorry, I know it's a little vulgar <laughs> for the fans out there, but like, dude, it, it's one of those things. It's like, how can I go pay for a hooker, but I can't smoke weed and fight fist right, fight no. somebody? Yeah. It makes no sense. Logic, and 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 for and especially with the whole Shakari Richardson thing being a performance enhancing drug recently in the news, and the whole debate of whether weed is performance enhancing or not performance enhancing. I don't give a damn because it's going to open up a can of worms that we could go down. And really, if we're looking at it, there's so many substances that are allowed that shouldn't be allowed. If that's really what we're calling performance enhancing, right. which just dismantles the whole argument in the first place. So thank you, Nevada, for finally catching up with the times. Sign Nick and Nate Diaz up for the next 10 fights in a row. I want to see all those guys throwing hands weekend after weekend because you know Nate will fight three weeks in a row. You I want to see care. him smoking a joint on the way to the arena. In between rounds. Well, if you remember, if you remember back when Nate Diaz has fought hell it seems like 10 years ago they tested him and when he originally got in trouble they said we tested him after the fight the amount of THC we found in your system means that you had to have been high in the middle of the fight <laughs> of course. And, and, but you know what who cares yeah. what the man slang you know, throw hands is he not and, one of the most entertaining fighters in UFC history I exactly mean, him and his so, brother both so yeah I, I, I'm, I'm very glad they finally decided to catch up with the times we have an incredible card uh, main event uh, it's so great that I think one of the brightest stars in UFC history, young stars in UFC history, Sean O'Malley is leading this bad Welcome boy to off. The Sugar Show, baby. I'm telling this guy is the truth. If you don't know Sh Shane O'Malley, you got to get on board, guys. He is one of the best 
you want to talk about a pot connoisseur? Yeah. Uh, he, but he is one of the so most he is one of the most fundamentally sound fighters I've ever seen. He has incredible talent. He's like he's like a pale Israel on Sonia sometimes. It's unbelievable. And he's going against a guy, Chris uh, Maltino. I think that's how you say his name. Maltino. Maltino. Yeah, Maltino. Okay. The, uh, basically, Joe and, Montana. And this is not. I don't. Yeah. I said Montana. <laughs> and this is no. This isn't supposed to be a slight on Chris, but this should not be close. I mean, he's a what is it, Trevor? What did you say before? It's a minus eight hundred. Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Minus eight hundred. Fanduel has it currently at minus nine hundred. Oh Jesus! Like this is this. Should so this not this be should close. go as as expected is what you're saying. This should be an absolute ass whooping on the hands of Sean O'Malley. Like if he really wants to pick pick up and prove to us, hey, this is where I'm at right now. Because he always claims he's the best striker in his division or in all of MMA up there with Israel Adesanya. It's hard to debate which it. Which it is hard to debate. It's climbing only, the ladder. The only problem is that we have, you know, he does have that weird loss where he ended up tearing some ligaments in his ankle and he couldn't put any pressure on it. That's just kind of a fluke outlier of his record. Anything else that you've seen him do has been almost flawless. Um, I mean, if you ever if you saw what he did to Eddie Wineland in, in the ring, I mean, he absolutely – to, to to beat somebody like Eddie Wineland, who is a veteran, you know, yeah. he's not he's not going to go down. Proven to the UFC fighter, one of the greatest yeah. of all time, but he's a very proven UFC fighter. He he made Eddie. I mean, for you know, earmuffs kids, he made Eddie his bitch, and and like just nobody's the, bitch. <laughs> Eddie's our bitch here, so that's perfect. <laughs> Must be the thing with Eddie's. I don't know <laughs> something about the name, but, uh, but no, he he's one of those guys that he's going to be the shining future of UFC because he's still super young yeah. and 26 he is, man that's he's a it. personality too yeah. he's a personality he's in the game he's very marketable he's an unofficial member of the funky bunch with him Ben Askren and Chase Hooper which is hilarious <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's even ever acknowledged it for the fact, <laughs> officially but um no I, I think he this this fight should go according to plan Sean should absolutely knock it out of the park um definitely not going to win any money if you bet on this but if you're smart Throw twenty bucks on his opponent, Mutino, just on the off chance that Sugar Sean gets knocked out. You might win a, a nice little purse right there. And then we have a circus event that's uh, following that one with uh, Tai Tuivasa <laughs> versus uh, formerly known as the NFL player that likes to throw women on guns and beds, uh, Greg Hardy. Yeah, so um, yeah, seven and seven and three. Yeah, he's, he is seven and three. I will give him that. Yeah, I was gonna say. So I've actually this is this is kind of crazy. Greg Hardy has actually reinvented himself within yeah. the UFC. Yes, hard. Yes, like he. I've watched it as soon as I found out he was actually training, and and he got. I believe it was a professional fight league or PFL, like something that no, it wasn't PFL, but it was one of the lower, lower, uh, you know, not Bellator's, but even lower, like the the LFAs and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, Shamrock competed. Shamrock FC, something like that. Yeah, yeah something. It, it, hell, it, honestly, it might have been Shamrock FC. Bum fights, bum fights. He is a bum, man. He fights, but it's weird. He did kind of reinvent himself, and he's believe it or not, he's pretty good at what he does at heavyweight. Um, he's the, a monster. The, yeah, the thing is, is he has had some odd like. Controversies even within with doing an illegal knee and then mm. taking an inhaler during one of his matches, so he got technically disqualified. Like Are you was, serious? I didn't yeah, know about that. I one. didn't know you. Well, I guess I didn't even think about it, but he had asthma of some sort, mm. so he took an inhaler when he went to the stool. Well, they counted that as a uh, performance enhancer in it's the middle so of the fight. Weird. It's because if you know you got to be able to manage, and I never even thought did they about check it. if it was Nate Diaz's inhaler because it, <laughs> it may have been. <laughs> Might have been a little THC you know in that I mean? inhaler, CBD, but CBD. yeah, but so it, that was a weird one. But he has kind of come back and it actually proven that he wants to seriously learn the game of mixed martial he's arts. Arrived. He's here. He is, and you know what? He's he's actually throwing a lot of shade right now at, at one of my favorite fighters, the Black Beast himself, Derek Lewis. 
he is calling Derek Lewis out. Oh, wow. Derek Lewis called him a bum, basically. And so he, he's, right and he came back and he said, well, if he he's going to let my name slip out of his uh, Popeye's greasy lips or something, like, something <laughs> weird. You're like, what? Like, uh, like, dude, it was like, dude, go look up the quote. Greg Hardy's throwing bombs over here at Derek Lewis. We need to Lewis. make that happen. But Derek Lewis would be the first one to throw bombs. Yeah, Derek Lewis will, will maim him. Absolutely. But it is funny. Like, if if Greg Hardy comes up and fights somebody and beats somebody like Taito Ibasa, who is a proven heavyweight, somebody who's actually caught a lot of power, very good, great hands in the ring with knockout power. That could set him up to, to, to face somebody and like that. Spread is close. Too. I don't think there's yeah, I don't think there's a debate. Yeah, if he beats Fubasa, that I I think that UFC pushes it hard that Derek Lewis get, get that fight. Now you've built a story. So who do you got winning that fight though? Uh, you mean for the Tuivasa and Greg Hardy? Tuivasa and Greg Hardy. So weirdly enough, I I like Greg Hardy. He's okay. technically the underdog, but it okay. is very close. Um, How does I like he win? Greg Hardy because he's just, he he kind of fights like he played. He's unpredictable. And he's yeah. violent. He's violent in that cage, and he's a very scary man to look at. Yeah, like, he's huge as shit. He's a piece of shit, yeah. but he is a he's scary like a man to look at. He's like a big muzzle. He's kind of chaotic, kind of like he's, he's just a brawl. Six yeah. foot four, two hundred sixty-five pounds. That's Brock Lesnar. He, that's he, Brock Lesnar. Like a sledgehammer. Yeah. Dude. Let's not forget he also played one of the most athletic positions on the football right. field, defensive end. and he was a killer. He was very good. Yes, led the league in sacks one year. So I mean he. He is somebody that I believe is going to win this fight. Hmm. It's going to be a great test for his skill, though, because Tayabasa is a great competitor. Much um, more skill. But I slightly give the advantage of Greg Hartley just on the unpredictable factor. And then we have uh, a tale of uh, grandpas. Uh, Gilbert Burns <laughs> and Stephen Thompson, uh, both are over so the age of 34. We got, yeah. we got really one grandpa one guy who's kind of hit his his – Stride. Yeah. yeah, he did lose to Kamara Usman, but everybody else that Burns has fought, he's been on an absolute tear. Well, and, and Stephen Thompson is what four inches taller uh, with a four inch reach advantage too. Yeah. So um, he's a little bit older, but but Stephen, the way Stephen fights is just so he's very karate. He has a very karate based style, so he's very long and he's very he's very lengthy and he's very open. Um, the thing that I like about Gilbert is he can kind of just come and attack you. And he's going to get a hold of you and try to take you down because his, his jiu-jitsu level is elite. He's a black belt. So, But Stephen Thompson is also a black belt in karate. And so it's one of those things where the styles of these fights, I can't tell if this is going to be awesome or if they're going to counter each other out. You know what I mean? Because Stephen can also do a really good job of, of defending the takedown. But Gilbert wants to go for the takedown, but Gilbert can throw hands. But Steven can also throw hands and his feet at your face. So I'm going to give the slight edge right now to Gilbert Burns because he's a little younger in, as far as, like, kind of his stride and when they hit. Steven was hitting his stride a couple of years back. Gilbert's really been on a tear the last year and a half besides the Kamar Usman fight. I would give the edge to Gilbert Burns. But not by a lot. I think Stephen Thompson has a ton left in the tank, and he still wants to come out and compete. And you never know when you're going to get absolutely mollywop inside the head with a freaking karate kick. So um, I'm going Gilbert Burns, but I think this one's going to be closer than people think. And then we have the main event, uh, number three, Dustin Poirier taking on, taking on Conor McGregor. Uh, I've, I've said on I've said on numerous occasions that I've I've been a big time Conor McGregor fan. Uh, one of my favorite experiences was watching him drop Eldo within 16 seconds of that fight. One of the most prolific things I've ever seen in UFC history. Uh, maybe Said he the, was going to do it, then he did it. Yeah, maybe the biggest star that UFC the UFC's ever had. And it may not even be all that close when it comes to polarizing figures. I do More think pay per view buys. Yeah, oh, no question. Not even close. And then you're talking about you know just like I said the the ability for him to bounce back the way that he has and adjust. 
The problem, though, is I think that he's now in a, in a place of his career where I don't know if the hunger and the thirst is the same. He's even admitted that in an interview with Stephen A. Smith of, of, of late. Um, I, I do wonder, though, if, that's gonna, if that is going to cause an effect. with and, and, and Poirier having a little bit of, an, of a mental advantage over McGregor because – if you look at the the interviews, most of the time McGregor owns the octagon in yeah. that in that form, you know, on the on the mic. Of course, he didn't do that. Poirier, there was numerous times Poirier would say something, and McGregor couldn't come couldn't come back with anything. And I know most people are like, well, that's nothing, that's all hype. No, that is where McGregor beats you. Yeah, he beats you in the mental game, and then when you're in the octagon, you're still thinking about the things he was saying. He beat your ass, Poirier. Now he's a stone. He's an oak. That doesn't work on him. How do you see this fight going? So it's weird. I actually just watched the press conferences this this past week or when they were doing, like, getting ready before all the weigh-ins and everything. And I believe Connor did better at the mental game the last conference yes. they had. Yes, He seemed a lot more on edge. Poirier, and it's not that it really affected Poirier. It just was more Mystic Mac than, than what we've been seeing recently. He was a lot more quick, whippier. He was on it. He was, he was you know, throwing insults out that Poirier, you know, kind of had some lame comebacks too. Um, but to me, uh, Poirier doesn't seem rattled. I, I think that's because he knows he's already beaten Connor. That mysticism of Connor McGregor, the magical, you know, mystic Mac hailing from Ireland, one of the baddest fighters in the world, that doesn't have the same effect on Poirier anymore at all because he's already gone through this again. He's already seen the trash talk game, and I think what Poirier has done is pretty much blocked it all out. Now he he and he even said in the press conference, he's like, "I'm over this." Yeah. Like, I don't care about your game that you're playing. The first time we got into the octagon, of course it played a part. You're really good at what you do. Second time, didn't play as much of a game, but it still kind of did. But then I came in and whooped your ass and, and got the guy knocked you out. The third time, it doesn't have any play on me because what you do, I've now beat you at that. So now I know that this is no, this is a tactic that you use that I'm no longer buying into. I'm just going to give my answer and wake up on fight night and still go out there and try to whoop you. Now, my prediction on the fight might be a little different. You said you believe that Connor is lacking that drive. I would agree, but I'm I'm trying to figure out is if he lacked the drive or if he's lacking the drive. I think the last fight that they had, Poirier and Trevor. I, I want to know what you kind of think on this too. Yeah. Is um, it it looked it looked to me that he was lacking in the last fight as far as just confidence was, and especially kind of coming off his Khabib fight. Yeah, he did then come back and get get gate uh, not Gaethje, uh cowboy the way he did, mm. but it just wasn't the same Mac. But this time, I feel like he's he's there at least in the last couple of days. He's looked a lot more confident now. Maybe he's a great actor. Maybe he's getting the Golden Globe nominee for freaking you know acting. But he seems to be a little bit more back to that style now. As far as fighting, I don't know. Poirier chose a very different tactic that nobody really used on him before. I mean, Khabib, him, him and Khabib's match was different because Khabib's just an overpowering monster. But but Poirier really attacked his base, which nobody had really done to Connor before. Do you think the stop do you think the game plan is going to be the same? Do you think it's going to be slightly different or do you think it's going to be totally different? I personally feel like the this I think Connor's taking the an entirely different approach this time around because he got his ass humbled. Yeah. Right? If we're all just being honest. And I think he knows I think he's at an point in his career where he's been the showman, he's been the mouthpiece, he's been the marketable guy. Everyone's already hyped for this fight, regardless if he's that guy again or not. I think I think Connor's going to go out there and win this fight. First and foremost, I'll just get it out there already now. Um, I think he's going to win this fight because I think he's approaching it in a different way. I think he's approaching this more as a veteran, more as a guy that's really, really focused on just winning this fight instead of selling it. 
yeah. right? Because a lot of times he's put a lot of energy into selling fights. And he's, backed it up. he's backed it up more than he has not backed it up. Um, but I, I just think we're seeing a more focused Connor this time around. And, and you know, like an aged veteran guy. Um, we've seen him in all sports. A lot of the young, when they're young, they're mouthy, you know, but when they, old, they get older, they become a little more wise. They become that older guy, that veteran. I think that's kind of this chapter of Connor's career. I think he's going more that route. So who do you got? I got Connor. You got Connor. I'm taking Connor. He's and he's the favorite right now. It's very, it's it's almost yeah. a wash, but he's yeah. right now sitting at the favorite. Well, and, and I was listening to something today. They said that the money line right now actually is favoring Poirier, mm-hmm. but the the bets that they're seeing for wins are coming in for Connor. Right. Uh, also, I guess the bet for will the last uh, will the match go under six last sixty seconds or will they knock him out in it? All the money, battle. all the money is on yes, it'll it won't uh, on. No, it won't go sixty seconds. But all the money's on Connor to win in under sixty yeah. in that specific prop bet. I, the, the entire time since we knew this fight was going down, I've been telling these guys on the show time and time again that I'm picking Poirier. Yeah, because because Poirier I think is. at this current time he, he is the better time. fighter. I think he's the more polished fighter, the more established fighter at this time. Because for the last three or four years, McGregor's been kind of in and out of the octagon, yeah. doing other things, movies, years, yeah, doing movies, boxing events, which was the dance with gloves. Or we're being honest with Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> so he's been very distracted. I do a hundred percent agree with what Trevor's saying about where McGregor's mind is now. I do believe that he is now more fixated and focused because he does care about his legacy. Whiskey, he got out of the whiskey business. He's out of movies right now. Yes, he's living this whole profit. this past five so, six months. He's been focused on getting yes. That. So, so let me put it like this. He, he he didn't bring his family to Vegas for this fight. I be, It is in Vegas, obviously, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. This is a business trip. So, yeah, this is a business trip to him. He's not bringing them because he says he doesn't want to be comforted if something is lost. Because right. he said the last time he fought, he had his kid. He did. It was better. When they, when they fought on, on uh, Fight Island yeah. uh, over in Abu Dhabi, they, he, he, he had his whole entourage with him. He had his family there. Kids there. I'll say this. I'll say this. I, I'm going to still stick to my guns and say Poirier is going to win this fight. But here's what I'll say. If this fight goes to the cards, McGregor's winning this fight. Because of the fact, not, not I'm not trying to say some shady shit here that UFC is going to lean in his way just because of a bias, but let's be oh, honest. The UFC needs McGregor right now. Look, UFC, the UFC, because he he said himself he wants to continue fighting. I believe him. Yeah, I think he wants to fight for. I think he wants to fight for. I think he could fight for another six, seven yeah, years yeah, if he wanted yeah, to. I don't yeah, think yeah. that's going to happen. I think he's going to fight a couple more years. I think he's going to have about three to four more fights. I'd say three, yeah, three more, three to four more fights. Mm-hmm. I think this is the catapult, if you will, for him to get back to where he was. I, I, yes. I don't think he'll ever be as big as he was back when he beat Josie Aldo. I think that was his peak. Yeah. That was his absolute peak. And rarely do any guys ever get to that peak, let alone twice. So I don't think he's ever going to get to that mountain again. But I do think he could be the face of the UFC again and more than just the marketing side of things. I'm talking about from the fighting side of things. He could become a face again. So I think if this does go to the cards – I'm going to say McGregor wins this fight, but I think Poirier knows that. And so Poirier is going to go in there and try to land all those strikes that he landed the first time, try to get the ground and pound again. And I think if he does that, he's going to win this fight because I do think, again, back to what I've been saying and sticking to those said guns, those proverbial guns, Poirier at this time is the better fighter, and I will go with the better fighter 99% of the time. I, I would normally agree with you. 100%. Then just fucking do it. <laughs> just make it easy and fucking agree. I would normally agree with you, but I think right now, from what I've seen from Connor, there's so much riding on this that that is a like you said, a jumping off point for his future. Yeah. For all the endorsements that he then could then get again, the belt he could recapture again. How many more key marquee fights, fight headlines is he gonna get again yeah. after this? Probably only about four more. So can he stick out one fight to get you know, about another year and a half to two years 
of absolute fame. And as far as popularity goes, the two – do you guys know the two highest-selling pay-per-view fights of all time? Uh, they got to be McGregor. I'll give you I'll give you one. First one, Gregor versus Khabib. Do you know the second one? I do not. It's McGregor versus Poirier 2. Nice. So the question is, Is does McGregor versus Poirier 3 top two? I think so. Do you so. think it will become the second highest watch, or does it top one? I think so because of the fact because of the fact that from what I know from watching boxing or watching UFC my entire life, man. it's the tiebreaker. Exactly. It's the tiebreaker. Once that happens, I think that there's so much more intrigue to this one than there was the second time, even though there was a ton of intrigue. As you said, it's the second highest grossing pay-per-view sale oh, there ever was. Yeah. But I'm going to say yes. I don't know. What we, what... No, yeah, yeah. I, 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 think it, I think it should. Even even with the, the tame – "Quote unquote," Tane McGregor. We've seen the, in the pressers and stuff, which I am actually, I'm glad that we're starting to see that kind of McGregor. That that more adults, more strictly business. You know, yeah. instead of he's still talking his shit. Of course he does. Yeah, yeah. He, that's he's exactly that's who he is. But it seems a little more calculated. Yeah, and I, I think we're gonna see a very sharp McGregor in that octagon. I really do. I I, I know you think Poirier at this point is, is the better fighter. I don't know. I think. It, Fighting is all of, and sports in general is all about matchups. Yes, you know, especially one on one combat. You know, who who can counter who? You know, whose strengths are what? If, if someone's strength is so much overbearing to the the counter of the other fighter, the opponent, it doesn't really matter what you do, man. If you can't counter the the strengths of your opponent, you're gonna be you're gonna get fucked up. So I I think both these guys, obviously, it's a, this is a trilogy for a reason. These guys counter each other really well. They, these fights are. Very, very good head-to-head. Their strengths match up very, fairly well. They're both good strikers. They're both fairly good on the ground as well, but they both like to knock each other out. Um, obviously, McGregor got humbled last time, but I, I truly think, man, I think we're going to see a, a different beast out there. I think this is strictly business for, for McGregor, and I think that's something anyone should fear. I think if Conor McGregor is going to show up at the fight, if I'm him, mm. in my mind, and I, and I do believe I've seen this from him this this, this past week, Yeah. I'm here to shock the world one last time because I think if he doesn't do this, he doesn't do anything else going forward. If he loses this, I don't know if we're going to see him getting a ton of big matches. I think he's trying to bring Khabib back to fight. I think that's okay, and he has to win. I'm glad that was brought up. I'm glad that was brought up. That was my next question because honestly, I think that that is the inevitable. If if McGregor wins this fight, I think that the UFC has to say, look. Khabib, whatever we got to pay you. I know we'll that you're you you're a man of you're a man of fundamentals. You're a man of respect and honor and diligence yeah. and all that stuff. Money isn't exactly the the root of all your motivation, but it's got to be a part of the motivation. Yeah. And you know, Khabib would not mind going in there and walloping oh, the he, shit at McGregor he's baited, again. He's baited Khabib too with that Stephen A. interview talking about he's done nothing for the sport. He said Khabib's done nothing. Yeah. This dude, like he's baiting Khabib. Except well, whoop the living gets, shit out of McGregor. He gets yeah. he gets under, even though he's beat him, he gets under Khabib's skin. Oh, so oh yeah, bad. He, he would be the only so guy. Really bad. They're polar opposite individuals. I mean, no, not only from culture but yeah. religion, like the yeah. whole gambit. Yeah. They are very. But Khabib is a methodical creature, and that's and, a real and, hatred between oh, them. That's a not a marketable Chael Sonnen esque type of hatred. That's a. It is on a religious level. It goes deep like that. They do not like each other. No, you saw his men going there and assault. McGregor after their fight. You yeah. know it's real. It's real. He has to win this. And in his mind, I think he has to think, I'm going to shock the world again. Because if I don't, my career is basically on the fritz. Yeah. I think if McGregor wins this fight, this is a launching pad to get to to possibly, I'm not saying it can yeah. happen. To hopefully but bring I think that his Khabib. best chance of win, to, to face Khabib again is to win this fight and call Khabib out. 
and say, I want you. And he's, not, he's the only guy that would bring him out of that back from And the if bed. not, then it's just John Jones and McGregor. <laughs> well, yeah, John. What, 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 and, and, and I'm glad you segued to that. As my final question of the segment is, when do you anticipate that we are going to hear about a Bone Jones and Ganu uh, confirmation? Man. Because it, it, there's been nothing. It, it, I'm not hearing a damn thing. Yeah. It's all speculation. Let me text John I Jones real quick. Yeah, text <laughs> right. him. Let me know what he says. Because right. we I, talked about this last time. And, yeah, and, here's the deal. I, I didn't really like what they're doing right now in the heavyweight division with Derek Lewis fighting Cyril Gaon. I don't know if Cyril's really deserved it. And the fact that they're calling it their interim heavyweight belt title just because Francis had a prior obligation, he couldn't end up making, he either couldn't make weight, it was something weird. Like, he, he just, he wasn't, like, ready, basically, yeah. to take on any fights. He's, I mean, hell, he's in the new Fast and Furious movie. Like, he's got other things. He's an international superstar now, especially in his country of Africa, like, in the entire continent of Africa. Oh, yeah. He is the biggest walking. Him, Kamar Usman, and Israel Alassane, they can't go anywhere. They're kings. Without being absolutely and hill. So, yeah. I didn't really like what they decided to go with choosing this. If anything, I would have thought, okay, what you do is you run Derek Lewis, Fran- uh, Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Francis probably wins that one, but it's yeah. a great matchup because you get Derek Lewis. Now, if Derek Lewis comes in and eats Cyril gone because that is the next fight, then you have to, I think, give Derek Lewis that fight still because the Derek Lewis fight versus Francis Ngannou doesn't have the same matchup Um Quality or showmanship that John Jones and Ganu does, which that's the fight everybody. Yeah, you know that they're not going to give Derek Lewis a fight with Ganu if Derek Lewis wins this fight, which we all expect him to, because we all know, like I said, if we hear the news drop after that fight, after the Derek Lewis uh, serial fight, that Bones and Ganu are in preliminary discussions. No offense to Derek Lewis, we all love him here. He would fall to the irrelevant yeah, side and again, I, and, and that sucks. But it's in true. A position that they can let him do that because I think right now Derek Lewis is one of their most entertaining fighters. One hundred percent. Besides Francis. He is easily the most. He's a great fighter. quote. He's an incredible He's fighter. Yes, quote. yes, dude. He, so hey, I agree my with you. Is hot, man. Like, <laughs> who else has? It's just, so I think how they played this was a little weird. I would have fought that fight first. Then you have all the time to say, "Hey, now we're going to run Francis and, and um, Francis and Jones." Then we're also on the same card. What would be awesome is if you had Derek Lewis and gone after that mm-hmm. fight after francis probably takes yeah this could be this, Der- this Derek lewis serial fight sounds like a, it just feels like a time killer for sure yeah, man I, and that's why i don't really like about it so i think it's gonna be a while honestly I, I don't think you'll see it by the end of this year i don't, I don't think it'll be until next year until you see john john's fight that is our guy blake sneeders i i hope you guys give him a follow man at b cut podcast on youtube they please have a, i need more friends <laughs> they have a great no you guys have you guys have an awesome show it's very oh, informative please. i love the way you guys break things down you have incredible guests uh you have you, i i can see that you guys have a ton of respect in the in the field as well and kansas city is a, a booming area for mixed martial arts and if you have anybody that you know if you have young kids or whatever that you're trying to get into self-defense i would highly recommend mma being a form of that for sure uh but uh, tell the people where they can follow you on social media and uh, how they can get a hold of you man yeah so on twitter you can find me at wake capital in blake wake in blake 29 i'm always there probably usually chatted up with with either lance or any any of the guys uh on the twitter sphere i've actually just became like kind of savvy now with Twitter, like I'm actually posting things that people are actually interacting. So like that's kind of interesting for me. You thought you thought I would have done it when I was younger, but I didn't. So it's a deep pool, man. Yeah, it's so a deep pool. I'm getting, getting active on the Twitter sphere, and then on Instagram, 
Um, I don't really post a whole lot on Instagram for people to, to really interact with. Most of my stuff I post all to Twitter. But if you do want to follow me on Instagram, um, hit me up. Uh, send me some funny pictures, some memes, and whatnot. You guys can reach me at GingerPants4. <laughs> He's got all these funny names, man. I swear to God. GingerPants4. And then WakeUpLake29 on Twitter. And those are the two. Uh, also, our, our podcast online is called B-Cut, B-C-U-T. Um, you type that in. It's pretty much the only thing uh, labeled that on YouTube, and you can go check out all of our shows. We're also going to be starting to post all of our shows and episodes as well to the Spoken yes. Facebook page yes. as well. Yes. So you guys can check all the content out there. But if you would, go over, give us a like, give us a subscribe. That way we can continue giving you guys great content. That's our guy, Blake. Thank you so much, man, for being here with us and breaking it. all this stuff blast. down. It's an absolute – and I, I'm assuming you're going to be watching the card with us hopefully tomorrow would, night. Yeah, I hope so. I don't so, really have any plans. Yeah, so come, I, come chill with mind, us, yeah. man. You're welcome. You get the you get the VIP treatment over here at the, the Spoken Studios. But yeah, yeah. we're going to take a quick break because we got to get Eddie back in the show. I mean, we missed him too much, even though we, you know, I kind of I kind of called him our yeah. bitch. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have to apologize him in the middle of the segment. But uh, we have the Eddie Hour, man. I cannot wait to get to what Eddie's got going for us, the thought-provoking questions in the world of sports that maybe – fall out a little bit on the edge of what we usually talk about, which I always welcome. Cannot wait to hear what he's got for us. We'll get back to that after this. Midcoast Modern is a Kent City focus on modern handmade and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the mid-coast and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Hey, yo. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Speaking of Eddie Ortiz, it's his hour. It is his time to shine and do whatever he wants to do and ask whatever questions he wants to ask. So, without further ado, Mr. Eddie Ortiz, what is going on in the Eddie Hour? All right, man. I want to start off with the MLB. Uh, hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name right. But my question to you guys is, is Shohei Otani leading the MVP? Without question, yes. Uh, AL MVP, because obviously in baseball you have your AL and your NL MVPs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is no question in my mind, Shohei Otani, if he keeps, if he stays true to what he's doing right now and just handles the, the rest of the season, uh, no matter what the Angels do, which isn't going to be shit, he has been by far the most valuable player in, in Major League Baseball, quite frankly, even over Fernando Tatis, because of the fact that you're talking about a guy that at worst is the number three pitcher in a rotation, which means you're still one of the top tier pitchers in baseball. Uh, and the fact that he is leading the majors in home runs right now at 30, I think it's 32. 32, 32. Yeah, so so when you're that in both aspects, there's nobody in baseball more valuable. And again, I'm a big Fernando Tatis guy. I love Fernando Tatis. I think he's a great player, one of the best, if not the best player in baseball. But what Shohei brings on both sides of the field cannot be matched. You cannot match it. I mean, it's so crazy to think, even if Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball, was healthy right now, which he's not and hasn't been for a while, Shohei would still be the name on that team that you would talk about more. That's saying something for a guy's value when the best player on the planet is on your team and he's not even the most marketable chip to the team. He brings it with all, like I said, in every in every regard, defense and offense, he's consistent on both ends. There's no question in my mind, yes. Yeah, just wait till Trout is healthy and, and can stay consistent with his health. That's 
that team can be, you know, they can build on those guys. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely the MVP. I think most people would agree with that. Uh, Tatis is definitely pound for pound talent wise. I mean, the guy is arguably the, one of the best players, if not, you know, the best hitter at a lot of times in this league too. That guy's incredible. Um, but yeah, I don't have much more to add to what Lance said. I definitely agree that he is. Yeah, he's he's yeah. a fucking he's incredible man. Well, I mean, ask you, Eddie. What do you think? I no, I, I, no, I, I without a doubt. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Halfway through the season, and he already has the back. most home runs in a yeah. single season by a Japanese-born and player. You, you know, that's you want, insane. You want to know something crazy? To this day, he hasn't taken a bat in practice once. Yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. He's a legend, dude. He's, 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 he is literally done. what Babe Ruth has been told to us that he was. Yeah. He is literally – I'm not even – I know everyone's like, oh, that's blasphemous. Yeah. No, it's not. He's doing it in the modern era, yeah. what Babe Ruth supposedly did. That's, uh, <laughs> the fucking – was it the batting coach came out saying that he's never taken a, a practice? Legend. Legend. I mean, don't don't yeah, fucking don't, don't jinx him now. Don't make yeah. him take any kind of practice now. Like, Legend. Do what he does. Oh, and he's just now entering his prime. He's only yeah. 27 years old. And I mean, <laughs> what is it? All-Star game this weekend? Yeah, this next weekend. Or this upcoming. This, yeah, this, this weekend. weekend. Yeah. Home run derby, I think, is tomorrow night. Yes. And, and All-Star then, Sunday, yes. I think. I think. Yes. I think. All right. Uh, stick with uh, MLB. And, you know, like within the last few years, I've been kind of watching the MLB a little bit here and there. It's really not, not of my interest. I do – Sometimes go to a Royals game just for the experience, not because I I like watching the game. Uh, but how can how can the MLB save themselves from becoming an extinct league? Uh, everything that they're doing right now, do the opposite. Stop. <laughs> I know that sounds like an over oversimplification, and it probably is, but that's literally it. Baseball. See, this is what this is what pisses me off. You know, you know, you know, the Major League Baseball league reminds me. You know, the majors remind me of. The rich kid that you grew up with that he doesn't know how good he's got it. He's born with all this wealth and all these advantages and privileges, and he bitches to you about the shit he goes through, and you're sitting here going, bro, you, you literally just got off your father's yacht, and I'm the one cleaning it. You know, like, that's what the majors are. They have this rich history of great success, of all this money being made, and all these all these famous athletes coming through your league, and all these great moments. Literally, I mean, look at American history and in, in, in sports. If you had a hundred videos of the greatest moments in American sports history, I guarantee you at least fifty of them are going to be baseball moments. I guarantee it because our our generation and beyond behind us, you can you can point out several instances that they've had of great moments, and it goes across the board, not just Yankees and Dodgers. You've seen it, George Brett, famous to this day of him running after a damn ump that called him out for a pine tar incident. So. Yes, the the, the what baseball's done is they've done everything that is detrimental to their success that they've had through all these years. Because as we know, as generations continue and as as time goes on and we evolve, you have to adjust to the times. And baseball hasn't done that. We've talked about this a hundred times, and that's not what they're doing. They're not adjusting to the times, and they're suffering for that. Shohei Itani, we just talked about him. He should be up there with LeBron James, Steph Curry, and Patrick Mahomes as far as superstars and how they're marketed. But he's not. He's not talked about in the same realm as those guys, even though he is what they are to his league. It's baffling. It's unacceptable. And baseball just cannot get out of their own way. But I guess that's what you have to expect when your own commissioner and the guy that represents the league as a whole is calling their championship a hunk of metal. So that's that's where everything they're doing now, just do the fucking opposite. Yeah, they need to, you know, inject all these guys with testosterone, juice up the balls again. Well, Trevor, I don't know if you heard, but the rules are the rules. Yeah. They need to take the purity out of the game. If I'm, if I'm being, you know, little uh, rules of the rules, yeah, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
it just yeah, baseball if it doesn't watch itself, it's gonna turn into golf really, really quick. Nothing against golf, but you we all know a tradition unlike any other. Exactly. Golf is, <laughs> is, is, is an old wealthy man's game. It's it's entertaining for those who love playing it, but watching it, no sir. No one likes to watch I mean, very small It's regionalized. To watch it's regionalized. Golf. It's watching it. playing it is cool. Hitting playing golf out there with your boys, it, it could be and, you know some drinks. That's a fun little like thing to do for you know whoever enjoys that. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean if it doesn't watch it, it's gonna its audience is gonna become that audience because it needs to look, man. You have to pander to the younger group of of, of, of people, especially if you want younger talent too. But you know because athletes will tend to become uh, uh, athletes for other games too. That I mean, granted. A lot of these kids from other countries tend to have that baseball still tends to be a dominant baseball and soccer tend to be a very dominant um, um, sport in those regions. So there will be those guys. But I mean, as far as especially in America, the MLB, you know, you you want to try to cater to your younger audience, too. And then the the attention span, a lot of these, you know, these next few generations coming up uh, and the one current right now, like, you know, the the attention spans are pretty short. You need to make the game a little, you know. Have some brawls in the seven-inning stretch or something. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Just, fan it, versus fan fights? They, they just need to make baseball fun, man. Let these guys – like I've said it millions of times before on the show. Let these guys' personalities shine. Let them bat, bat flip it because if they hit a 500-foot home run, let them fucking celebrate that shit. That's what these guys work their lives for. Let them celebrate it. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't the think theatrics, they, they need yeah. more theatrics. It really does. I, they let these guys. I, I don't think the shoot. MLB is like tells them like, no, you can't sell. But I think that's mm. kind of like it comes with the other teams unwritten rules. Well, it, look at that's it. The, the, league, the versatility of, of other leagues. The, the NBA they implemented the th- the third the three point line, uh, the shot clock. Uh, baseball doesn't have any of that stuff. It's literally almost the exact same game that it was a hundred years ago, yeah, I mean, other what, than like shifts. Yeah, and shifts of, have actually killed some of the product of the game. Right. The when league officials are, are warning guys after flipping a bat and celebrating, that's the league. Right. Those are well, league officials. They need what they need to do because we live in a time, and, and and obviously we're all from the same generation. What are we all about? We we have short attention spans. That's not a knock. That's just a fact. We don't pay attention to things long enough. We all have ADD. So baseball, in order to add intrigue to a regular season game is put time on the game. Don't let these guys just I, – I know everyone's all against the, the instant replay stuff and all that. That's a separate discussion. What I'm talking about is implementing time clocks on pitchers and how they release the ball and how fast they release the ball. Don't allow several timeouts by batters. There's Don't, don't allow uh, more than three pickoff plays for a pitcher against a guy on first base. There's a lot of things right. that are super time-consuming in baseball that withers away at our attention spans, and therefore we lose interest. If you want the baseball to be a, a sport that guys that are 18 to 36 start watching, yeah. you got to start implementing some of these things that build intrigue for them because they're not the same people that they were in the 70s and 80s and 90s of our father's generation. So we don't have the it, same type of attention yeah, I'm looking fans. at it from the television aspect. I mean, going to a baseball game is always a great thing. Going to a baseball game is always a, a fun thing to do, especially on a nice day, a nice evening, a nice night game. is one of the best experiences you can do as an American. Going to a night baseball game is one of the best things you can do and enjoy. It doesn't matter what stadium it is, just the, the smells, the sounds. It's one of those, just, it's America's pastime. It really is. And it's great. It's a great game. I love it. It's still one of the most, to me, it's the most unique game in America, period. There's so much that goes into baseball, so much ups and downs. It's my favorite sport to play. Muscle, muscle memories that you got to learn. Yeah, I suck at it, but I respect <laughs> the shit out of it because the game's hard. It's not an easy sport to play. It's not, especially the guys that are natural, that's, that's a, blessing to have those kind of genetics and just naturally pick up baseball because that's something you have to play for years to that's why we have a lot of late bloomers in mlb and baseball in general because that's something you have to develop the muscle memories you know some guys change up their swing and have to relearn that 
it is what it is. But I mean, I, I love the game of baseball. I'm not a big baseball guy, but I love and respect the game for what it is. They just they do need to make some tweaks and you know revisit some old ways that they had because like uh, the early '90s and all that era was just so fun. It was just you know it is what I called the juice era, whatever. But it was still fun, and they did, they did, they definitely need to tweak some things to this younger generation to be entertained by it. One of the things I think that they, they should change is um, implementing uh, draws. Mm. Only nine innings. Play There's nine. So many innings, games. You can get away with it. Uh, regular season, only nine innings. Playoffs because a lot of people watch more playoffs. Extra innings. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Let let draws have uh, involved draws into make the game shorter throughout regular season, and then on the playoffs when everybody's watching, everybody's tuned in. Extra innings. I, yeah, kind of like, like what that. soccer does with like tournaments. Soccer, See, that's progress. <laughs> yeah, so soccer with tournaments like uh, group stage. Group stage, they don't go to overtime. It is once the fucking it hits ninety, it's it's over. They just need to let these guys fight like hockey, man. If shit goes, Trevor keeps bringing up the violent I'm shit. Bro, we were trying to make like adequate. Hey, subtle, if I want to progress, you, I'm gonna <laughs> tell me. Tell me though, the baseball fights aren't so epic, dude. You see the dugouts clear. It's one of the most fun things to watch on TV when you see the highlights and, and the dugouts just all these yeah, bodies just but being a, being a former baseball player I know that those guys are all talk it's all peacock oh for sure but I mean it's very, very rarely do you get the legit like yeah. Coco Chris versus James Shields Bryce fights Hopper. you know yeah you know Coco what I mean Chris. Yeah. I forgot about <laughs> Coco Chris yeah alright man uh, so earlier this week we heard uh, the Olympic committee come out pretty much say that uh, there's going to be no fans allowed uh, in the Olympics uh, due to an uh, outbreak in uh, Tokyo now, there was a recent, uh, uh, what'd you say, study or not study, but uh, uh, development? No, no, no. Uh, fuck when you quiz people, a survey. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's been a recent survey that came out uh, that pretty much asked the uh, the people of Tokyo that uh, would they like to have the to- uh, the Olympics still be host in Tokyo right now with the whole COVID break and all that stuff, and to the surprise. Only fourteen percent uh, agreed that the Olympics should go on in Tokyo. Like this should be played this summer. Only fourteen percent of mm-hmm. all the people they surveyed agreed that the Olympics should be uh, held. Now, my question to you guys: Like, should the Olympics be held with this whole spike going on in Tokyo, or should the games go on? No, they should. I, I'm I'm one of those people that believes that this is something now because you have to remember. The reason we shut down things the first time is because of the nuance of everything that we didn't know then. Now, they're trying to reel and hurry up and get everything prepared with this in mind. This isn't the same type of situation that we would have had had, let's say, let's say the Olympics were going on right now as we were speaking, and then a breakout happened. Obviously, you can't stop the Olympics. You have to keep rolling. You just have to be very precautious. But now you have an opportunity to get out ahead of it and say, we're stalling everything. We're not allowing this to happen because of the potential of what took place, like what happened last time. And I don't see that changing. I don't see things getting better where all of a sudden there's no outbreaks amongst the athletes. And if we know anything about Olympic athletes, they are very, very big on making sure that nothing like that would ever happen to their bodies. Because I guarantee you, most of these Olympic athletes have never had COVID, or at least not knowingly, and they're not willing to risk it. I talked to Muna Lee, two-time Olympian, uh, just a couple weeks ago at 810, and you know this is something she was very concerned about as well. And now we're seeing it really fall into fruition. So if it was my vote, I'm I'm with the the the, the 84 people or 86 percent that says that this shouldn't go on because of the risk factors. I don't think they're prepared. I don't think they're ready. And I think they're showing that it's going to still happen. Don't get me wrong. It's still going to go on. But I'm very concerned about this because of how quick they were saying no fans. 
That tells me right there how dangerous this is out there and how unprepared they really are. So if it was my vote for the caution of everybody involved, I would say no. Yeah, I think the answer is in the question. I mean, with the 80-plus percent of people that are, you know, all coming to agreement that they shouldn't carry on with it, at least for now, at least, you know, stall until that's under under control. I mean, COVID is something then that, that, that you know, forced the hand of rookie <clears throat> players in the NFL not even to have their debut when they were drafted. You know, there was guys that opted out that were rookies and never even played until this upcoming season. And also, it's, it's serious enough for, you know, and we've seen major families, even in, in the NBA with Carl Anthony Towns, and, you know, losing multiple family members to this, you know, and the, and the spread of it doesn't stop if you keep pushing forward it's just going to keep spreading you know regardless of what you believe it is whatever it is real i've had it myself it's it it, it i i am a very healthy individual so i beat it fairly quickly um you know i got vaccinated as well so i mean it, this it, this shouldn't be a political conversation and it isn't a lot even though a lot of people make it out to be and you know i'm not sure how all the i don't know if they did a poll for the olympians to decide that i don't know if they're giving them the decision I don't know if we're going to see player uh, um, athletes opt out to even compete, which that could very well happen as well if they push this forward. Who knows what's going to happen with the man, this man? This is still something that we're trying to beat, and, and obviously where it's being held isn't somewhere that you know that has been very good at controlling all that stuff. If we're being honest, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's so much money tied up in this. Um, they're, they're already losing money. We know with, with telling you know with announcing that they're not going to have any fans out there. Um, I think they're going to push forward and, and, and go forward with it either way. But, yeah, I think I'm with the 80-plus the percent that's um, using their brains. All right. Uh, Stalo in the Olympic uh, topic. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's been reported that the White House is pushing to have a meetings with uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency to uh, loosen the restriction on use of marijuana for athletes. So I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, I almost feel like this should have been the conversation, I don't know, a hundred years ago. I mean, this is something that we just got done talking about a sh one show ago. Just last last week, we were having this very conversation about why in the world this is even a thing. It's it's that baffling. And I, I'm actually I'm proud of America for taking that step and saying, hey, we'll lead the charge here and making this, a, a, you know, getting rid of this bullshit rule. I mean, I know we can go down that pathway again about the rules of the rules, but rules can be changed. Rules can be taken away and, re and other ones implemented. Let's go that route. We just saw Nevada State Athletic Commission do this very thing, and they are one of the toughest commissions to budge. They are very strict. They don't fuck around when it comes to combats, when it comes to combat sports. And they they totally relinquished that. They said, no more. We're not banning. We're not suspending. We're not doing any of this bullshit anymore because it has been proven time and time again that this is not a performance-enhancing drug. We talked about this last week, Eddie, on and off the mic. We talked about how there is actually a ton of extensive research that has been done on this plant and how it only does beneficial things to people that are dealing with things that are outside of sports, outside of athletics. Athletics, for sure, you can use it for pain and things of that that nature, but it's not going to make somebody faster. Uh, Seth Rogen, the comedian, the actor, he actually had a funny tweet. He said, if 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 marijuana, if cannabis is, is a performance enhancer and makes you faster, then I am Flojo. Because that's where I'm at. I mean, it, it's th this is this is all delayed, inevitable, reason reasonable and logical thought and and, and 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 execution. I am so glad that America 
Our country here is the one headlining this, and I really hope that WADA really gets with the times here, man. Because I don't want to see another Shakari situation where she gets ruined, her, her legacy gets ruined. She misses out on millions and millions of dollars of endorsements simply because of an outdated bullshit rule should never exist in the first place. Yeah, it's 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 a you know um, it's humbling that the American government is listening to our show uh, <laughs> and giving you know taking what we say into uh, you know. <laughs> You know, it's a consideration. I think that's right. God damn it, I should have taken a drink of water with Jervis. I, I think it's shit. a very powerful, um, you know, I take that humbly. So, yeah, that's um, respect to America. Thank you. Uh, America, friend of the show. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, these colors don't run, baby. Um, listen, it's, it's common sense to me, man. Like, this is, and I'm not even a, someone who consumes marijuana. Like, every once in a while I'll dabble, but I'm not even a person, like, and I'm very much an advocate for it because I, I, I believe in it. I believe what it does, and there's so many positives that come with it and i've seen people have you know positive impacts in their life with their health because of this plant whether they smoke it or however they ingest it it doesn't matter there's good things in it and it's not a performance enhancing drug in any in any way it's as much of a performance enhancing drug as tylenol is so if you want to go there we can talk about anti-inflammatories we can go we can break all that down because that's literally what it is it helps with that stuff and it's it's just a health thing it's not performance enhancing um, so yeah, I mean, we don't want to see another scary, like you said, this is that I do believe that was the, the, the breaking the point catalyst for American be like, Hey man, okay, listen, what the fuck? Like this yeah. is, we're, we've been very progressive with this, you know, and it's funny enough, like <laughs> we were very regressive with it. And, you know, we were one of the biggest influencers of how the stigma became what it is with this plan. Now we're kind of the ones like, Hey man, we're trying to get this pendulum to swing back the other way. So, um, yeah, I mean, you already know, man, we, we spent a whole, damn near hour plus talking about this last week so you know how i feel about it it's this is one step in the right direction point blank period all right uh a couple more questions uh <clears throat> me and lance were talking about this i believe either yesterday or this i believe it was yesterday morning kind of talked about uh, a little bit about it uh if a trade for aaron Rodgers doesn't happen before training camp well he is he staying in green bay you know, I know the assumption is, well, of course, he'll just go back. Man, I, I, I listen, I'm listening to a lot of folks, man, that are in the know. They're they're very, very confident. He's not budging. I really believe this. there's a really good chance this can be a, like a Carson Palmer situation back with the Bengals 16, 17 years ago. Mm. When he retired, literally retired, and the Bengals said, well, fuck, okay, we'll relinquish your rights, and they ended up trading him away. I think it was to the Cardinal or the Raiders at that time, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. And then he came back, obviously, and played football for another eleven years. I, I don't, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is going to play football for the Packers this year. I, I don't think he has this type of offseason with the way things have gone. If he was planning on still coming back, because that, that he would be the fool if he returns and acts like everything's cool and just goes and plays football for this team again. He is the one that is the brunt of the joke here, because then the Packers have all the power. Like, see, we told you he returned. If we just stood our ground, he'd come back. We told you guys Aaron Rodgers ain't bigger than us. I truly believe Aaron Rodgers is at peace with his legacy there in Green Bay. Right. And I think he's realized, I've done everything I can for that team and franchise. I've taken them to three NFC championships and one Super Bowl. I've done everything I possibly can do. I'm one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. If he walked away right now, I really do believe he'd be at peace with his career. Do I think he's got plenty of football left? Yes. And I think Aaron Rodgers knows that as well. And I also think the rest of the NFL knows that as well. And I think there will be plenty of teams that are going to ultimately give the Packers a package they cannot refuse because they're going to realize, and I'm I'm saying this in confidence of what I believe Aaron Rodgers to be of his mind state or our mindset right now, the Packers are going to realize, okay, he's not budging. And we can't go into the regular season with this on our hands. We have to trade him. 
I still believe Aaron Rodgers has played his last game with the Packers, and I'm standing firm on that. Yeah, I fully believe Aaron Rodgers is in the mindset that he has nothing to lose anymore. There's the only thing, only he has only gains to look forward to. I think he he's that guy, man. He's he's always been a guy that you know speaks what he feels and sticks to it. He's always been that guy. You know, whether you like it or not, whether you think he's a sarcastic prick at times, sure. Whether you think he's a passive aggressive guy or not, he's he's he always holds firm to his beliefs, right? And he and everything he says is who he is and what he stands for. So, and then I, that's what I love about the guy um, outside of his abilities on the field. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to let Green Bay get one over on him. I don't think he's going to let them win. He gave them over a decade of his career to, you know, in a Hall of Fame career. He's already fulfilled a Hall of Fame career and, and, and only has one ring to show for it because they've lacked the the gall and the, the pride to provide product for him. So, um, yeah, I, I'm 100% in agreement with Lance. I think Aaron Rodgers is, is not budging. He's he's too he has too much pride and and, and and warranted pride in himself to hold firm in his stance. And I don't think he's going to be a Packer. I'm I'm very very confident he's not going to be a Packer next year. All right, uh, last question for you guys. <clears throat> so this has been a I guess a horrible week for uh, ESPN with uh, Rachel Nichols uh, mm. comments about Mar- uh, Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor. Earlier in the in the week, released by New York Times, and then yesterday, Jeff Van, Van Gundy coming under fire because of the comments he made uh, during the uh, basketball game yesterday, saying uh, Devin Booker looks like a choir boy but plays like a hoodlum. So I want to get your your whole thoughts on the whole ESPN thing going on. I'm gonna I'm not I'm not gonna dance around the JVG comments because I feel like that was he definitely shouldn't have said that. I don't think that was something. I mean, I, what other what other interpretation do I take from that other than I mean, I don't think he's saying that about Jokic. He's, no, he's meaning he's that when you say playing like a hoodlum, that means he's like playing grimy, he's gritty because he talks a lot of shit. I don't think that that to me that doesn't. I, I, look, I don't think JVG meant anything by it. That's what I'm trying to say. It's I don't think. Speak, I, 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 yeah. like I just I don't think it looked good, especially with to the point I'm trying to make is that the, the, the temperature of the room right now with ESPN. It's very sensitive right now. I think that that's it's probably not the best. I don't think anybody really says anything if it, if this wasn't going on with Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. To that point, uh, to give you my most honest assessment on this situation, because there, I feel there's more that we don't know than we do know about what's going on behind the scenes. Unfortunately for Rachel Nichols, she's been she's been on the hot mic. She's a victim of a hot mic. Uh, what I'll say about Rachel Nichols in this one is this: is that every single person that has known her for an extended amount of time has come to her defense, and they didn't have to do that, especially people of color. They did not have to do that. They could have very well stood their ground and said, hey, Rachel fucked up. I'm not going to say anything or no comment. And that's always a bigger comment than saying something when you say no comment because we know what that means. So I don't think that Rachel Nichols meant harm for what she said about Maria because even without knowing she was on a hot mic, she said, I do wish nothing but the best for Maria Taylor. I want to see her succeed. I think Rachel, and we're going to let's get let's put this on the table right now. Eddie, you and I have talked about this. Trevor, you and I have talked about this in our private time. We'll say it on air. She's a woman in the world of sports. And we all know that a lot of times women are put in places to be a token on shows. We look every single sports show, whether it's on ESPN or I FS1 can't. or NFL, yeah, a lot of them are very beautiful women that are put in places because that's what men want them to be on those shows. And often, if you look, every single one of those shows have one woman. 
and they're on an island. So Rachel Lobby Nichols sees that. Know, knowingly do that. Yeah, yeah, okay, but they, they're getting jobs right. And Rachel Nichols is one of the OGs where she's been putting in her time. She's been doing this for over 20 years. She's great at her job. And she's great at her job. She's fantastic at her job. And she's seeing the threat of, okay, they're pandering. ESPN is pandering to a sense because they want to elevate black people, which is great. I love it. I'm a fan of it. But she's seeing the tea leaves. She's seeing what they're trying to do to a point where it's getting intentional. And she has a problem with that because it's going to be at the cost of her job. And she doesn't feel that she's deserving of losing said job. So I understand her frustration. And I don't think she said anything that was a damnable offense. The problem is we live in a society where it's going to now cost her her job. Rachel Nichols is not going to return at that position. Maria Taylor Maria has already been offered a seven-figure gig at ESPN, which means she's going to take over if she accepts. Now, Maria Taylor's got all the leverage because Maria Taylor is good at her job. I don't think that Maria Taylor got her job simply because she's a black woman. I think that I think that is a part of the thing. But, I mean, are we really going to bullshit ourselves and say that isn't? She is a proven commodity that has worked her way up, and she deserves the credit that she gets. It's just a shitty situation because a legend in Rachel Nichols got caught in the crossfires of all this and said something on a hot mic that is is not uh, a, a beautiful representation of what they're trying to promote out there, and that's what got them caught up. So I think that that's the, sh- the shitty part of all this. I don't want to you know take too much time on that because we can continue to talk on it, but that's that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to add to that. Uh, Rachel Nichols is one of the best ever. I uh, put her in the same boat as, as Doris Burke. Uh, if Doris Burke got caught saying something like that, which wasn't really that damning, like you said, I think we we all should give them the benefit of the doubt because they they're in this man. They've been a part of this, and NBA is a very much a black culture thing, and they they're all loved and adored by all these players. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not gonna jump too hard on on her for that. So that's it. All right, great Eddie. That's a great question in the show. It was great the the in the segment off of man because I know that's been a super controversial one. So we need to get to you guys though. I'm sure you guys got plenty of controversial questions for us. Hopefully we got uh, the regulars, Donnie and Shaggy and all those guys in there. I can't wait to get to their questions. I'm sure they got some good ones. So let's get right to it, guys. We'll get back to that after this. KC Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at KC Hemp Co. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. It is time for the Monday Mailbag. What we do each and every week is we give you, the listening audience, an opportunity to take over the entire show for an entire segment. Whatever it is in the world of sports that y'all are wanting to talk about and break down and, and, and discuss and openly just get out there and just and, and, and verbalize some opinions on the matter, we do that right here. You guys give it to us, and we bring it back to you. So, Eddie, what is in the Monday Mailbag this week? All right, man. We're going to start off with uh, Shaggy Shane. Ooh. Hey, I, I, real quick, I'm glad he started it off because as he's listening to this right now, According to what he told me in a text before we started recording the show, right during when we were recording the show, he's on a flight to Tampa with his awesome wife, Tracy, and he wanted to make sure that we gave him a well-in-depth show episode. So that's what we're trying to do here, Shaggy. This one's dedicated to you, my man. I'm glad you're starting off the mailbag. <laughs> All right. 
If the Chiefs don't reach out uh, to defensive ends Melvin Ingram or Justin Houston, how confident are you in Taco Charlton and Mike Dana picking up the slack if indeed Frank Clark gets a four-game suspension? Not not very good at all mm. because those guys are meant to be role players. They're meant to be third-down guys. They're meant to be non-starters or guys that just fill in for short amounts of time. If a guy tweaks his ankle and needs to sit out a few plays or a series, that's what those guys are for. They're not franchise guys. They're not cornerstones. That's what Frank Clark was supposed to be. That's why I said at the beginning of the show that I 100% believe the Chiefs need to swallow their pride, and I do say that intentionally, and go and get Justin Houston because that relationship did not end well. I'm hoping that they go and do that. Would I be on board with Melvin Ingram? Absolutely, because he's still a solidified veteran, and that is what the Chiefs need is solidification while Frank Clark is out. And then when Frank Clark inevitably comes back, if that is the case, what ha- in fact what happens, you have that guy as a depth piece, and he can move around and rotate, whether it's Justin Houston or Melvin Ingram. So I want one of those two guys for sure. The Chiefs have already established conversation with Melvin so I think that more than likely it would be Melvin Ingram if they had to choose between the two. My vote would be Justin Houston. But at this point, no, I do not want to see Mike Dana or Taco Charlton or anybody else that has a food name being the guy that starts on the other side of Chris Jones, who inevitably will be playing a lot of defensive end this year. Yeah, as much as I love Dana and, and Taco, uh, they're they're you know the relief pitchers, man. They're not they're not that's not what they were brought here for. Granted, I'm sure they would jump at the opportunity to showcase you know what they're capable of and, and whatnot. But I uh, yeah, I mean. First things first, we need to figure out what, what's going to happen. You know, with with, with Frank Clark, and uh, obviously, best case scenario, we need him here. Uh, we want him here. I still want him here, at least for this season. Um, yeah, I mean, Justin Houston is definitely we we can we can hit this continuously at ad nauseum here. But um, yeah, that would be the move. Uh, Melvin Ingram obviously would be a move as well. Get a veteran here. We need we need somebody here that knows what they're doing and can fill in and has the knowledge to uh, replicate the the playbook immediately. Um, so. Yeah, I uh, don't want those guys to be our day one starters. No. All right, next question comes from Caleb Butler. Uh, why won't the Royals just won't? Why won't the Royals promote Bobby Wood Jr. to at least the Triple A level? It's quite obvious he is too good for the Double A. I don't understand the mindset that this organization has on some players. It always seems they baby the really good players and actually call up guys that don't belong on a big league roster. Why don't the Royals ever learn from their mistakes? That's a, that's a valid question. Um, I think that the Royals have a lot of things that they got to be in line of questioning for. I think interrogated for uh, the, this. The, I think this all starts at the at the feet of Dayton Moore. Uh, he's been infamous, and I've, I've actually been a supporter of Dayton Moore, and I've been a defender at times of Dayton Moore because I think he's, I mean, without question, he's given the, the Royals something and Royals fans something they hadn't had in decades, and it was all credit to him. But even to his own chagrin, man, you're, you're talking about a guy that famously kept Moustakis and Hosmer and those guys down in the minors for way too long, in my opinion. Yes, it helps develop certain guys, but there are certain guys that want to pop and are ready to pop in the majors at worst AAA. And I think Bobby Witt is definitely, he falls into that category 100%. I've told you guys, I think this is a franchise-changing type player. I, I'm i being honest when I say this. I think Bobby Witt could be the Fernando Tatis of the Royals. And I, that is high praise. That is how good he is at baseball. That's how great he is at baseball. And if I'm the Royals right now, if they give me that GM role right now, my first move is to bring Bobby Witt up for an entire month 
of baseball to the AAA, AAA level, see how well he plays. If he bats over 260, 270 at the AAA level, I'm bringing his ass up to the major leagues before even the September call-ups occur. I would bring him up in August because I believe in this kid that much, and I think he can be ready to pop at the major league level, and you're getting that service time in, in, in motion, which is why I know the Royals have been always been the ones to delay because they don't want to pay these guys, and then arbitration starts begin and all those other things. I understand the mentality, but it hasn't worked as much as it hasn't worked for the Royals in the past. And I would like to see them change their way. So it's a valid question. And I think Dayton Moore has a lot of questions to answer. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't really know what the, I don't know what they're ready on either. I don't know what they have to lose at this point. Um, it, it makes sense to get Bobby Witt out there, see what he's made of, test the waters a little bit with them, get him some experience heading into the fall in the next season next year. You know, that way he could be the guy next year. I and mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, let this kid play out the rest of the season get his reps in because baseball is all about reps, man. It's it's getting out there, getting those jitters out of the way. If, he, if they let him play out the rest of the season, just bring him up, let him play out the rest of the season, he'll go into next season even that much more confident than what he already is in, in, within himself and his own talents. And, uh, I mean, that as far, as far as for the fans, it only makes sense, you know, to to put some more asses in the seats because I think even, even, if, even if the fans have the foresight knowing that they're going to pay tickets for a game the Royals are going to lose, but they can go watch Bobby Witt play baseball – they would still pay tickets, pay for tickets to go watch Bobby Witt play baseball, just for the fact of what the future may hold in, uh, uh, for this franchise and in, in the in, you know in the coming seasons. So I think it only it only makes sense. It's only a win to put Bobby Witt out there. I don't understand what they're waiting on to be honest with you. All right, uh, Donnie Couch. Hey guys, and discount Eli Wallace. Who's Eli Wallace? <laughs> this guy is breaking out the history books. I don't know. <laughs> That know. sounds like somebody that did not live while we've been alive. Really Eli Wallace. We have to go look him up right now. Jeez, How was your guys' week? Good. Solid, Good. man. Glad to be here. Uh, if you were a GM in the NBA, who would you rather build a franchise around? Son Williamson or Ja Morant? Ja Morant? Ja Morant or, uh, or Zion Williamson? Um, you know, I, I wish this was an easy answer. It's not because I think Zion Williamson is the better talent. But Ja Morant has, I, I think, more of a – more of a, a game that I think lasts longer. I think he's going to be a guy that plays in the league a lot longer because he's more of a, a guy that's not going to get, it's not going to break down as much athletically. Mm. Um, so if I'm looking at the big picture or if I'm looking at, at, at ticket sales, if I'm looking at ticket sales, I'm going Zion because I think he's going to be the guy that just draws everybody. He's going to get the primetime games far more than Jaw is, and Jaw's a star in himself. But but Zion is is the number one overall pick. He played at Duke. He's one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen play at the NBA level. Um, so I would go ticket sales Zion. But if I'm going for basketball purposes strictly, I'm probably going Jaw because I think that, that although the trajectory from the superstar side of things is probably higher in Zion's, again, I'm looking at longevity. And I think Jaw is going to be one of the best point guards in basketball for a long time. I think he's going to have a long NBA career. I think he's only 21 years old right now. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I, I'm probably just for basketball purposes going to go Jaw. Yeah. If I'm going to go like comparison-wise, there's not really a direct comparison you can really think of for Zion because I don't think we've ever seen anything like him. He's like, you know, he has similarities to LeBron James with his athleticism, uh, Blake Griffin with his athleticism. Sean Kemp. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's why. I, that's where I was actually going to go. I was going to say like a really, really supercharged, souped-up Sean Kemp. But then my direct comparison for John Morant is a young Russell Westbrook, and I think he has that potential, and I think he could be right up there with the talent-wise of Russell Westbrook. The games are very, very similar, very aggressive, 
go right at you type of guard. And if he gets a muscle on that kid's frame, man, I think John Moran is going to be an absolute stud in this league if he can stay healthy. Both these guys, both but, these guys have had health scares. To that point, too, I, I also look at which guy do I think would be a legitimate one. Although yeah. Zion has well, both superstar in, talent, they're both stuck in franchises that aren't the best. They have to build them. right. We have to and we have to ask the question right now about Zion: Is is he going to be the one that carries a franchise? Oh, yeah, We've had this talk. Yeah, we, yeah, we had that, that is a legitimate question. Yeah. I think he could be that guy, but I think we already know Jaw could. Jaw's a stud. I think John Jaw is already on that. That's path. the thing too. With Zion still with finding Zion, that. Path. I'm not sure. Like I don't even know if Zion knows what he is yet. Yeah, he, we all know his his abilities, athleticism overcomes almost everything right now. But if he becomes older and he doesn't really develop into any kind of like go-to moves, aka you know, and you say his knees kind of go down, like go, you know, kind of go down, and they start his physicality is can't demand, depend on that very much. And he's already had some issues with his knees and yeah. stuff. So and his and his weights, being able to keep weight off. I think he's an absolute specimen freak athlete. But John Moran is definitely right now the more skilled player offensively, without a doubt. And I think he has more star potential right now. Did Zion? Yes, because. Listen, Zion is is the freak show right now. He is the freak show. He's the flashy. They're both flashy, but I think I think I think Jaws got him better in, in in personality. If I'm being honest, I think he has a better personality, and he's he's more vocal on the court. And he's kind of becoming his own. He looks like a true leader out but there. But who right would draw more crowds? It's without question sure. Zion. That's what I'm saying. He's the freak show. Yeah, he's he's, he's going to. But get, that that plays into superstardom though. This, that's why this is a good question. Yeah, right? it's that's splitting hairs. It's a good question. I think both these guys are very marketable. Yeah. Uh, they're young guys. I think I do think Jaws a little more more marketable because he has a better personality in my mind. Um, but I mean, both these guys, like I said, both these guys are stuck in franchises that need them yeah. to become superstars in this league to to build something to make those <laughs> franchises that have done nothing their the entire existence for the most part. Um, and I don't want to something. I don't want to speak against my own argument here, real quick, yeah. but. We also have to give Zion some praise here. He's one of the most efficient players in basketball oh, too. He's an he finished defender. He f- he finished yeah. fourth in PER this year, which yeah, is yeah. player efficiency rating. Fourth. Yeah. Zion Williamson at I'm twenty not, years yeah. old. This so is, that's a that's a good question. Yeah. So yeah. we're splitting hairs here. You're gonna be fine either one. I would probably lean Jaw. The answer is Jason Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I actually 100 agree with that. All right, uh, Donnie Couch. Uh, do you think the Kansas City Chiefs need to bring back the Dallas Texans throwback helmets? Sure. I, I mean, for fun, yeah. If you have like a, a Sunday night football game, like let's say against the Bills, and you want to rock those, go ahead. I think those are awesome. Why not? It's it's the little amount of what you would call alternate jerseys that the are alternate sets that the Chiefs even have. They have literally nothing else outside of that, and then the Arrowhead. I would love to see them modify some things. It'd be really cool. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I don't see any negatives I think that go Patrick with it. Holmes would love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it makes like sense for him to go out there and rock some Texas shit. You know he'd lo- yeah, you know he'd love that yeah, shit. As long as Pat goes out there when, when he wears it and he throws six touchdowns, I don't really care what jersey we're wearing, to be honest with you. Right. Any throwback on him, I, it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. So hopefully that did, doesn't jinx uh, Patrick Mahomes to get massage. Oh, I think I think he would he would step up to that one. I think he would I think Pat would love that to have <laughs> have his state on his helmet. I think he would absolutely love that. Anyways. <sighs> now moving to hold this L. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Donnie Catch. Do you think we're going to see an uptick in the use of a fullback in this year's, uh, specifically in Andy Reid's offense? No. Uh, I mean, I understand that Andy Reid's one of the few head coaches out there in the NFL that likes to utilize fullbacks, but even when Sherman being here as long as he was, I think he'd been here since 2013, uh, Sherman didn't get a lot of usage. He was on special teams a lot, and he was a really good locker room guy. That's the majority of why Anthony Sherman was here. Um, but I, I don't, I don't buy into this idea that the the fullback's going to have some sort of revolution in Kansas City, let alone at all. So no, I'm going to say no. 
No, yeah, I 100% agree. I think we're going to see a lot of spread offense. I think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets. Um, no, I don't think – I think the fullbacks can not, – not a dying position, but it's it's a, it's, it's far more or less utilized than it's ever been in today's league. For, and for good reason. It's a very, you know, fast-paced – it's not as much as a hard-nosed, uh, you know, 60% rushing, 65% rushing, you know, strategies for offenses now. It's a lot of spread offense. And the Chiefs, you know, we don't run the ball. We run the ball – Consistently, but not like that. We don't play a lot of hard nose mountain stacking the O line, two tight ends on one end, doubling up. We don't we don't run the ball like that. So it's not. I don't. I didn't, yeah. No. no. Uh, Donnie Couch is Drew Holiday the best defensive guard in the NBA? No, I think uh, Ben Simmons is better than him by a slight margin, just because of his size and his ability to guard all four or five positions. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons is more versatile. Drew Holiday is an unbelievable, and you can even make a case that Marcus Smart's up there. Marcus Smart just gets hurt a lot more than Drew, and I think that that's what gives Drew the edge. But I don't think he's the best, but is he an elite defender? Yes, without question. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say Ben Simmons as well, just because what separates Ben Simmons is his size, too. I mean, his, his ability to move laterally so quickly. He's a freak athlete. Uh, if he was only, you know, if he was as confident in his jump shot as he was defensively, he'd be an absolute superstar in this league, but he's just quite frankly not. But Drew Holiday, yeah, he's, that dude is a lockdown defender. Has been very good for the Bucks. Unfortunately, they're down 2-0 to the better team. Um, yeah, yeah, I. But yeah, I think um, I think I definitely think Ben Simmons is the uh, the superior talent there defensively. All right, last question comes from uh, Shaggy Shane. Ooh, two questions. I like it. Uh, remember, two years after the Chiefs drafted wide receiver John Baldwin in the first round in 2011. Just days into his first training camp in KC in 2013, Andy Reid traded John Baldwin to San Francisco for uh, wide receiver A.J. Jenkins, who was also a first-round draft pick in 2011. Both of these players stuck before and after the trade. Doesn't anyone remember this, or is it just me? My point is uh, everyone getting their hope up for this wide receiver from New England, uh, Nikhil Harry, who also has played two disappointing years with the Patriots as their number one draft pick. People compare Nikhil's size to Sammy Watkins, but uh, Jonathan Baldwin was 6'4", 230. What am I missing about this Nikhil dude that everyone is getting <laughs> gay about? I, I think the – because we've already kind of discussed the Nikhil Harry thing and what my injury is, is just simply because of the fact that you're not really giving up anything for him. And when you have somebody that is that young with that kind of size and my belief in Andy Reid and what Patrick Mahomes could potentially do with him, I'm always down for experimentation because you have to understand, guys, this is how it's going to go for a, for a lot longer. As long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are together – you're going to see these types of experimentations. I'm not saying they're going to get Nikhil Harry. I'm not saying he would even flourish here if he was even here. I, I'm probably going to lean more on the side that he wouldn't. But I'm always open-minded to these ideas because Trevor earlier brought up Albert Wilson. Well, Albert Wilson was an experimentation too, guys. If you forget, he was an undrafted player out of Akron. I remember I remember being at that training camp back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And when, when I saw this little dude out there named Albert Wilson running around catching everything, I tweeted out. I was the first one. I will give myself credit for this. I said Albert Wilson is going to have a long career in the NFL. That was over six years ago, and he's still in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So Albert Wilson is a representation of what I see the, the Chiefs looking at guys like Nikhil Harry as experiments. Give them an opportunity to shine. At worst, you can maybe trade them away and get another draft pick out of them. You're using them as an you're using them as an investment. Turn off your Takashi 69, Eddie. <laughs> but you look at these guys, you just look at them as investments because you know at the end of the day. No matter how good they may end up becoming, they're not going to be your Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. Right. 
So the only there only are good things that could come of that because let's say let's say the Chiefs go out there and get Nikhil Harry and he sucks. What'd you lose? A conditional sixth. Boo-hoo. I'm not pissed about that. So I'm not trying to overhype it and act like this guy can be a franchise changer or a tilt swinger. I'm just saying that I think that this is a guy that brings more positives than negatives, even if there's only one singular positive. Yeah, I mean, I like I like we I alluded to earlier on, like I just don't I guess it's low risk possible reward i just don't know what he really brings outside of his he's got size i'll give you that he could come in is is he worth you know bringing in just for you know red zone packages or yeah i don't know i i, I like i said I'm, i've been if i was a fan of him uh coming into the league i liked the draft pick by the patriots they i haven't done anything with his talent um but i i just don't i just don't know i don't think he fits i don't think he fits here to be honest with you i think we are our offense is completely based off speed um, and we, we get the ball out quickly we're, we, we, you know, I, I'm expecting a lot of passes to the running backs this season. Um, so I just think we're going to be we're such a fast paced offense. He's not really that kind of guy, um, outside of red zone packages. I just don't think he's that great of hit, a fit to be honest with you. I'm just, I just don't, um, just from watching his tape and, and having him on my fantasy team, you know, two straight years where I thought he was going to actually do something. He just has never, he's not shown much in the league since he's been in the league, man. So, uh, it's a pass for me, but if they do, I trust Andy Reid and Beravich to do the vetting. Um, I do not. I, I don't have the eye for talent that those guys do. If Andy Reid some, sees something in them, he's worth you know throwing a pick out there for him. More, more. I, I will follow their lead on all that. So I don't really care. But I mean, as far as my optics of it, I just don't think it's really worth. It. I think we could find other guys out of that that fit the our offense a little bit better in my mind. That's it. Man, that was a fast, quick paced Monday mailbag, Shaggy. I, I promise, man. I tried to. Uh, I tried to extend it as far as I could for you for your for your listening uh, pleasure, man. So let's uh, before we go or before we move on, let's do our like best Shaggy Shane impersonation, Trevor. I know you like doing that, so let's go ahead and do this. This is fl- by the way, Shaggy. This is all for flattery, okay? No one's making fun of you. No, just like pretend like Shaggy's breaking down the game in the Shaggy uh, Shane episode. Uh, yeah, Shaggy, yeah, yeah. Like, let's say okay, it's week one. The Chiefs just blew the shit out of the Browns. They beat the shit out of them. Week one, everyone's feeling great. Football's <laughs> back. And Shaggy's doing the Shaggy Shane show. What does he say right there? Ha-ha! <laughs> Chiefs 36. Buccaneers 0. Bitches. <laughs> in a game. <laughs> Try back in you time love him. You know you love him. Patrick freaking Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, we gotta have some like classic rock playing. Yo, dude, you gotta yeah, you gotta have some leads. What, what does he love playing? He loves playing Joyous Wolf. Yeah, you go. Oh, dude, yeah, he yeah, Shaggy, you know we love you, man. That is that is my favorite part. Every every time he does it, he'll have the football. He goes pop, pop. He's like to the beat, pop. Yep, pop. Ha ha. That laugh. Ha ha. Oh my god, dude. Legend. The legend. We gotta get Shaggy back on the show. Have to, man. Shaggy, when you get back in town. Talk to my peoples. We'll talk. I'll talk to your peoples. <laughs> now we're going to training camp on the thirty first together. Him, me, and Clay. Uh, we're going out to the on the thirty first. So that's gonna be a blast. Uh, it's Saturday. Yeah, it's gonna be a blast. But it's yeah, gonna uh, rain. we're gonna. Yeah, it's gonna. It's gonna. Well, it's the thirty first of July. So it, it's gonna rain. So that we're gonna have a blast. It's gonna be so much fun. Shaggy, get back on the show with us, man. We appreciate you always helping out in the mailbag. We need more of you. We need you for a full segment, my dude. And you get back on the show. All right, we're gonna take a quick break because I believe we have. God dang it! What's the last part of the show called, guys? Hold 
it's time to hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> the him, the her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man. Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, oh pulsating L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant bastard. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this L. It's time to hold this L. What we do each and every week is we give out some friendly or not so friendly L's in the world of sports. But I promise you, whoever is holding the L for each one of us tonight, that motherfucker deserves it. Eddie Ortiz, who is holding the L for you this week and why is it F1? Oh, shit. Put him in the spot. Uh, Why is it F1? Well, we had a race this past weekend in Austria. Uh, It was the third race in uh, three weeks. uh, Back to back to back. Pretty, uh, I guess, uh, chaotic race. <laughs> uh, there was a lot, of, just too many uh, five-second penalties when uh, I don't think there was a necessary for that many five-second penalties. Uh, I believe, uh, well, Lando Norris, Sergio Perez uh, kind of collided, kind of kind of got pushed, kind of got pushed out. Sergio Perez got kind of pushed out to the gravel. Uh, not not intentionally. Not, not intentionally. Not uh, intentionally. And they gave Lando Norris a, a five-second penalty. It, it, that was way too harsh when it was, like, more of a racing incident. It's something that happens when you're racing at those kind of speeds, you know? Mm. It's hard to control a car. So everybody everybody saw it as a racing incident, but the FIA, the stewards, they were not having that. And then later on that same fucking race, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc, same thing. Uh, Charles Leclerc tries to come through the outside. Uh, he gets pushed a little bit, hits gravel. Sergio Perez got hit with a five-second penalty. Unfair. I don't think he 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 deserved a five-second penalty. Just like Lando Norris didn't deserve a five-second penalty. Few laps, few laps go by. Same thing. Charles Leclerc comes to the outside uh, of Sergio Perez. Same thing happens. He gets pushed out out of the track. Sergio Perez got gets hit with another five-second penalty, which. Everybody, a lot of people are like, let them race. You know, it's kind of like uh, the drivers have been saying that in the uh, in briefings and stuff like that. Like, let us race, let us have those kind of moments. So, you know, let them race, let them let them do their thing. Uh, I think those uh, five second penalties were a little harsh, uh, especially when uh, the other driver kind of put themselves in that situation. It's like with Sergio Perez putting himself in that situation with Lando Norris, and then Charles Leclerc putting himself in that situation. With Sergio Perez twice, I just think it was a little bit harsh for all of them. Uh, there was no need for that. Uh, I don't know what the FIA was was doing. Uh, I don't know what they were looking at. Uh, but for that reason, uh, the FIA, the stewards, you're gonna have to do me a favor and hold, hold this L. L. Trevor Twibble, who's holding L for you this week, my man? So I am. I know we didn't discuss it on the show. We were talking about it off off air. But I am gonna give this L to Jalen Rose uh, for good reason. Um, Jalen Rose was never himself a champion in the league. Jalen Rose was never looked at as an all-star in this league when he was a player. Um, he's actually known for the, the time Kobe put 81 on him. 
Uh, or was it 81? That was against the, the Raptors. Oh, no, oh, Jalen yeah, Rose was definitely in attendance on the court. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm correct there. Um, listen, most of you probably know about what was said. And then the timing of it is pretty pretty good because of the Rachel Nichols thing that's been going on as well. But when Kevin Love was announced that he had made the roster for the uh, the Olympic team, the Olympic men's team for the NBA, uh, he had this to say about it. He pretty much said that uh, on the Jalen and Jacoby show, Rose said, Kevin Love is on the team because of tokenism. Don't be scared to make an all-black team representing the United States of America. But I, I try to understand where he's coming from. I get it because it is a by far a, a African-American dominated sport. But at the same time, Kevin Love is not some bummy dude that just so happened to be "quote unquote" tokenized just to make this league to represent our country. There is a lot of guys that are injured, like you said, Lance off air. There's a lot of guys that choose not to do this. LeBron James himself is in there. Obviously, he's, he's dealing with his injuries, obviously as well, and he's opted out a couple times in the past. Not everybody chooses to do this. You know, some people t- like to take advantage of their full off season, right? Um, so there's a lot of guys that aren't there, and there's a lot. I mean, you can you can. <laughs> It is, I just don't – I'm not going to be the guy that's going to go with the shoe is on the other foot. By the same time, if if we're talking about hockey or something, you know, hockey, hockey is obviously the, the polar opposite of the NBA. It's a, a white male-dominant sport. But there has also been some – there's been some, you know, African-American men that have been in hockey, and it's becoming more of a thing now, but there have been good hockey players that are African-American. Um, and say uh, an African American guy made the the All Star team for a, for a, for you know NHL or the Olympics, you know, and one of the you know white guys was like, oh, he's there because he's token, he's the token black guy, you know. Don't be afraid to make an all white hockey team. It just it's stupid everywhere you any any it, it's not good logic no matter how you put it, no matter what situation or context that it's in, um, especially for a guy like Jalen Rose who. "Quote unquote" is respected amongst the league as a, as as an analyst, right? It wasn't he's more like I said off air. He's more known as an analyst in his career than he is an he was an NBA player. If we're all being honest here, that's this is really where he's made his real clout as it is as an analyst. He was a very average, maybe below average NBA player at best. Um, so yeah, I, I could play the whole quote because I have it here, but I'm not going to go. It's like about a minute and a half. But anyways, yeah. So he pretty much said Kevin Love, you know, champion, future Hall of Fame player in the NBA. Uh, far superior than he'll ever have, he would have ever have been in the NBA uh, compared to Jalen Rose. Um, it's just a stupid statement, man. And the timing of it is bad too because, of the, like I said, the Rachel Nichols stuff. And that that adds to my point because I'm also going to give the simultaneous L to Jalen Rose's daughter as well, uh, who decided to go on to TikTok. You know, the kids love TikTok nowadays. Maria Rose went on there and was quote unquote roasting Rachel Nichols, telling her pretty much laughing at her, saying. Uh, and if we're being real, Rachel Nichols is a subpar reporter, subpar boring, not great. I'm sorry your white privilege didn't work this time. Maybe next time. Listen, man, like if we want to have – if we want to be a – if we want to go toe for toe, we want to have you know this equality for everybody and we want to have you know equalism as far as you know we're all eye to eye on this, this, this conversation that we're having here. This does not give anyone a pass to give racism on the opposing side of it. Because I swear on everything that I love, that if that was on the other side of the, if that shoe was on the other foot, that would be a much bigger story right now. I'm not trying to push buttons, but we got to be careful with where we we got to identify where we draw the line here. Because Rachel Nichols is under fire for saying something that wasn't really that offensive. She was just stating it in fact, and ESPN is having their own problems as it is. 
Rachel Nichols, Rachel Nichols has been a saint her entire career, and she's beloved amongst the entire league and all these players, right? So I just think we need to be careful with that, and I think Jalen Rose and his daughter definitely were crossing lines there and being very, very disrespectful to people that have been there before them and are beloved amongst the league, regardless of their skin color, man. We got to really chill with that. So um, I feel I feel like some people are just too loose to the lips nowadays, and they feel like because they feel like they can get away with it because they have some kind of clout or pedestal. Whether it's TikTok, whether it's you're an analyst, whatever, I don't really care. But for that, I'm going to give an L to uh, Jalen Rose and his daughter. So for that, do me a favor, you two, and hold, hold this L. L. Every rose has okay. Anyway, um, so I, you know, baseball. The reason why I love baseball so much is because of the fact that it is a sport that has so many um, redemption stories or underdog stories. There, there's so many of them, and obviously NFL and NBA have theirs as well. I'm not trying to downplay it, but baseball, being a fan of it for so long as I have in the majors, man, you've seen it. You've seen these nobodies come from something and become something, you know. And it's it's just, it's great to see. And we saw that this week, man. Um, so. There's a 28-year-old player uh, that came up from the Padres minor league system, a relief pitcher by the name of Daniel Camarena. And he's, like I said, he's 28 years old. He was called up for the first time in his career from AAA on June 19th. He made one appearance for the Padres before being sent right back down. But this last Thursday, which was yesterday as we're recording this, was called up again. And it was a last-minute thing, the day of the game. And they needed him to pitch. Uh, with Padres starter Yu Darvish lasting only three innings and giving up a six earned runs, Camarena was in the game and had to take his turn at, at bat in the fourth inning. The result <laughs> was the left-hander becoming the first MLB relief pitcher to hit a grand slam since Pittsburgh's Don Robinson in 1985. But see, it doesn't stop there. He didn't just hit a grand slam. He hit it against maybe the best pitcher in baseball and of this generation, and Max Scherzer. Scherzer, and he was dealing in that game. Scherzer was sharp. He had one one home run, and before that, they caused the two runs. They were winning by six runs, and then he gave them a two. They were only down two runs after that. But see, it doesn't end there either. Because of that grand slam, it set the Padres up for a walk off hit that came in later in that game. And to see a guy once again, twenty eight years old at that point, you kind of know what you are and what you aren't. He came in last minute, nobody expected anything, and this guy came in there and did something that had nothing to do with pitching, and it, and it, it saved that game, and that's the kind of thing that you see happen all the time. Now, you're sitting here going, well, Lance, is this an L? No, this is a fucking W, because this is an absolute W for this guy, Daniel Camarena. I love this story so much. I saw this this morning when I was getting up. I saw that I didn't see the game, obviously, and I saw him, and it was so crazy, too, because it was one of those like foundational piece pitches from Scherzer, low Cut style fastball. Nobody hits that shit. Scherzer is untouchable at times. And this dude clocked that thing, dude. He knocked that fucker out of the park. And it was such a great story to see, man. So I'm giving out a W to the Camarena family, man. I absolutely love that. And I wish that dude nothing but success for the rest of his baseball career. My L, because you know I'm at, I gotta give out a motherfucking L to end this <laughs> then this shit off. And it's always, always juicy and tasty, and it feels really, really good when I get to give it to one of these Raider motherfuckers out here, man. I try to, I try to keep it honest and and true and, and and transparent, and always try to down the middle. You know, you know, we're Chiefs fans here, but every once in a while, it's fun to nice take a nice little ripe shit on the Raiders. And uh, so, it was quoted by Mr. Derek Carr, who just loves giving gifts to, so to the media, man. Yeah. It's so much fun. Uh, this was a conversation that he had. I forgot who it was actually with. It may have been a. Uh, 
may have been with Pro Football Talk, uh, Eddie Munster himself, Mike Florio. Uh, I may have been with him, but he was quoted, Derek Carr was quoted in talking about last season saying, quote, we were three or four plays away from having 12 or 11 wins. Oh, yeah, he told Michael Hawley uh, from the Michael Smith from Brother of Another Mother uh, show. He quote, quote, like literally three plays, and it's like we're so close. Especially we feel so confident on the offensive side with all the weapons you mentioned on all these kinds of things. Now adding Coach Gus Bradley and Yannick, and the different guys we've added to our defense, I mean, we're kind of excited, to say the least. So we're really looking forward to this season. You know, that's real cute and all, Derek, that you want to point out that you're three or four plays away from having 11 or 12 victories. But there's this thing called the past, and there's this thing called the history, and there's this thing called Google. And you can utilize Google to find the past and the history of careers. And what I did is I did this little thing where I went and looked at Raiders history. And Derek Carr has been the Raiders starting quarterback since 2014. And what I noticed was this was this really weird trend. And what it was was the Raiders have lost at least eight games in every single season except 2016 when the Raiders made the playoffs but were early exit against the Matt Schaub Texans. Um, so – I understand that the whole three, four, three or four plays away thing is is something Derek's entertaining. But what about the other seven seasons? What about those, Derek? Because we can sit here and talk about what could have been and how it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. But what about all the other seasons, Derek? You can't sit here and act as if you've been some team that's been on the precipice of success or has had some success and that you just got robbed from a few little plays here and there. I'd buy that. If it was, you know, maybe say, I don't know, Trevor, maybe the Chiefs that had a season like that, we could sit here and say, you know what? They're right. Opportunity just didn't strike for them, but they can get back and bounce back next season. Because we've seen it before. Thank you. Derek Carr, my dude. I wish I could say I love you. I don't. It, it, it's it's really sad when you see average and methodical players out here really trying to vie for success and clout and act as if they were ever really fooling anybody. Because we knew after week five when they're doing a victory lap around Arrowhead, there was nothing more that they were looking forward to after that because they were done after that. They had one one miraculous throw and touchdown against the fucking Jets who were literally trying to get the number one spot in the, in the draft. You had that one game as a highlight for the rest of that season. Outside of that, you guys did jack shit. You got blown out 45-6 to six against the fucking Falcons. So you could talk about these three or four plays. How about I talk about 45 points against the Falcons? In the meantime, how about I give you a letter in the alphabet? Do me a solid, Mr. Derek Carr. Don't block me on Twitter. Okay, you can if you want. And hold this L. Appreciate you. He will. Yeah, his brother already That's did. Both of his brothers actually did. Both, both the other D cars. God, God probably told him to. Douchebag car, dickhead car. Yeah, that's yeah, that's their names. They douche and dick. Douche and dick. Yeah, okay, douche and dick to block me. I'm waiting for uh, D bag. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been a fun show. Our guy Blake Sneeders came in in the clutch, bro. We really appreciated him coming in here talking about the UFC, man. I'm really excited about this card as we are each and every week, man. Every time that they have a great card that drops, we always gonna have Blake on, man. And guy knows his stuff, as you can clearly hear and see yourselves. But in the meantime, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for the great Clay Windler, for all the listeners, for all the people that are part of this, man, we truly appreciate you guys. I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 124 is finito. It's done. It's gone like the L.A. Clippers. And until 125, episode 125 rears its beautiful head around the corner. We out of this bitch.
We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.